tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Morning, welcome to Tip Today this Monday morning. Alison here with you today and all of this week. Uh, coming up on this morning's show, frantic efforts underway to rescue 40 Irish people stuck in Gaza as the situation escalates even further there. Could a vote of no confidence be on the horizon for Health Minister Stephen Donnelly? GRA reaction to the news that the Garda recruitment age is to be raised to 50. Why some families are taking legal cases to move GAA clubs. We'll have global politics with Thomas Conway, who'll be joining us in studio later on this morning. Also in studio, we'll be speaking to people who are leading a community initiative to tackle the problem of drugs in Clonmel. Neil Dennehy will also join us to chat about cycling self-care and what a weekend in sport. Heartache for Ireland, of course, at the World Cup. And the county senior hurling final goes to a replay again. Paul Carroll will join us later for a run-through of all of the weekend's sporting action. All that to come between now and 12 noon today. Emma is standing by on the phones, ready to talk to you today. 1800 Or you can text or WhatsApp 83 the big story, of course, across all media outlets this morning is the escalating situation in Gaza. Efforts being made there to bring around 40 Irish citizens to safety. Israel preparing to launch an offensive by air, land and sea after a million people living in northern Gaza were told to travel south. A border crossing in Egypt is expected to open this morning for aid and foreign nationals to pass through. That's after it was delayed over the weekend. It's a story, of course, dominating everything this morning. And Mary joins me on the line now. Mary, good morning. Good morning, Ali. Good to talk to you this morning, Mary. I mean, you know, looking at all of the pictures, all of the, you know, everything that's that's being recorded and all the video footage from what's happening both in Israel and in Gaza, very stark, very horrific, very frightening. What's your take on it? It's horrendous. And, you know, I would start by saying, which probably, sorry now, I have a, a bad throat. That's okay. Um, it probably won't be a popular view, but at the very, very least, Israel is guilty of horrendous war crimes. Absolutely horrendous. Why do you say that's an unpopular view? Because it is. It is. You'd be amazed. I mean, some of the stuff I have seen online, you know, the way people talk about the Palestinian babies, children that are being killed, and a lot of the attitude is kill them young before they can start. Have you seen those comments being made? I have. I, I, Ali, I look, you know me well enough now. I would not say it if I hadn't seen it. And that was said on an Irish site that I'm not going to name. Yeah. But it was. You know, it's, it's horrendous. And this thing about, oh, they got a chance to leave. To where? They had nowhere to go. Yeah. Well, I mean, all of the crossings that they were promised were either targeted by missiles or were blocked up. So, I mean, there is essentially one in Egypt that was also closed off that there's hopes that that exactly. one will be open today. There was um, a road that they were told 
to take. And the, the footage is there, verified footage. They were told, and then Israel hit it with bombs while they were on it. Yeah. Does it concern you, know, you the, the amount of global support that Israel have received? Yes, absolutely. Even if, it, if for nothing else on humanitarian grounds. I mean, people have, I think, very short memories because Palestine was there before Israel. And this all started, I suppose, going back to 1917. And before then, to my knowledge, um, Palestine was ruled by the Ottomans. And then Britain poked its nose in, in 1917. Yeah. And this is where, and they have been an oppressed people since then. And the other thing, you know, people sounding horrified because the few that did sound horrified because Israel had cut off water, food, etc. They do that on a regular basis. And you're right in what you say, that is a breach of human rights law. Of course it is. Of course it is. And the other thing is, people are accepting... Joe Biden, for instance, last week came out and said he had seen videos of children being decapitated by Hamas. And the White House had to come out and make a statement and say there was no videos. Yeah. So what do you, I know Biden has since come out, he came out yesterday to say that he supports the annihilation of of Hamas in Gaza, but what he says is that Gaza cannot be occupied by Israelis again. So he's kind of saying two different things there. What do you think needs to be the global response to it? The same, probably. I mean, there is, not for one minute, and I want to make it clear, not for one minute do I support what Hamas did last weekend, not for a minute. But they are not the average Palestinian. And it's the people and the children, particularly the children, that are suffering because of this. And the other thing that if reasonably well-verified news reports are to be believed, Netanyahu knew that that attack was about to happen. He is apparently, allegedly, supposed to have allowed it to happen because it then gave him the flimsy excuse he needed to practically annihilate everybody. Mary, what's your response to the Irish government's reaction to this? Because I think they've been a lone voice globally in that um, they have appealed for... Uh, for for peace and for calm, but also for humanitarian aid for Palestinian people. And they seem to be a lone voice in it. They are, but I don't think they're going far enough. I mean, the funny thing about that is that in 1980, I think it was 1980, it was either the late 70s or early 80s, Ireland was actually the first... I followed this thing for years, you see. Ireland was actually the first European country to recognise Palestine. And the other thing here is that this isn't even really officially. Israel says we're at war. With what? Palestine isn't a state. Mm. It's what? not even recognised as a country by most. We also you know? saw um, over the weekend that Irish troops had to take shelter in bunkers um, across the border in Lebanon. Do you think it's time now for Irish troops to be taken out of Lebanon? Yes. And that's coming from somebody who had a son who did three tours there. Really? Yes. Um, 
I, I don't, I, I can understand actually when he was there, it was bad enough, but it wasn't as bad as it is now. They were relatively safe, but they're definitely not safe now. And quite frankly, I don't see why our, and you know, you can't even say who, whose rockets yeah. are hitting these places. You really can't, not anymore. Because again, and I'm very slow to say anything about media and how things are covered. But a lot of the coverage from mainstream media is certainly very, very biased towards Israel. I agree with you. It is very pro-Israeli. Very. Yeah. So it's extremely difficult to know exactly what is going on and what Israel are doing exactly because... Anything they do seems to be whitewashed slightly. Or I suppose you know? excused by, you know, they're entitled to defend themselves. Of course they are. And I agree with that 100%. But this, you know, Israel is one of the most powerful countries in the world. I don't believe for a second that they could not go in together and eliminate Hamas one by one without all this destruction. The other thing is the excuses that they will use for hitting hospitals. Hamas is using it as a headquarters. Yeah. That could be one Hamas person and they will use that as a valid excuse to bomb that hospital out of existence. They've done it time and again with the money that he's you know, that has gone in from charities, built schools, built hospitals. They're no sooner built than they're flattened. Mary, can I ask you, Ireland and France, um, there's reports that Ireland and France are are currently the only countries who have spoken about or maybe looking into taking in refugees from Gaza. Is that something you'd support? I know the taking in of refugees, I think for a lot of people after what happened with Ukraine, it's kind of left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths. But how would you feel about it? But you see, I think there's a huge, huge difference here between Ukraine and You see, this is another thing. You know, when the Ukrainian war broke out, oh my God, everybody was absolutely horrified. And I'm going to say something now that will probably make me unpopular again, or maybe not. I personally know that Ukrainians are going back to Ukraine, refugees here. They're going back for medical care, gentle treatment and holidays. Now, if that country was so bad, I certainly wouldn't be going back there. I think there's a huge difference between what's happening with the Palestinian people. You have an area that's probably not even the size of our town here, and you have two million people. Can you imagine two million people trying to survive in an area that size that's constantly being bombed out from underneath them? I know, Mary, it just doesn't bear thinking about. We'll have to leave no. it there for this morning. Thank you so much for no your views. No problem. All Not right. at all, Ellie. Thank all you very much. Thanks, Bye-bye. Mary. Bye-bye. Let us know what you think. A couple of texts in. Uh, listeners says agree 100% with that lady. Israel is wrong. Can't understand all the pro-Israel. Uh, Mairead also says this woman is speaking from the comforts of her armchair. She hasn't a clue. Fight Hamas one by one. Uh, does she realise the day is coming that uh, they will do the same to her soon in tip? 
another listener, make no mistake, Hamas doesn't want peace. Uh, they want to annihilate Israel. That will never happen. God gave this land to Israel. Keep this text coming in to us, 83 311 Now, Fianna Fáil TV for Tipperary, Jackie Cahill, has today spoken out in support of Section 39 workers and called for pay parity for the sector. Uh, the TD is strongly urging relevant ministers in the department to act immediately to restore pay and avert hugely disruptive industrial action over the coming weeks. He joins me on the line now. Jackie, good morning. Good morning. Now, Jackie, I know we spoke to some of those affected last week who have huge concerns about these stoppages that are coming over the coming weeks. Uh, what's the current situation from a government point of view on it? Well, I talked to the Tarnish uh, and to various ministers on Friday and Saturday, and they're still very hopeful that strike can be averted and that they get everyone back around the table talking and trying to get the issues resolved. I suppose there's 54 million on the table at the moment to address their staff recruitment and retention issues. And, um, you know, if, you know, they, if the, what, Section 56 or Section 39 feel that more is needed, they can get back to the Workplace Relations Commission and we try and get this resolved. Um, no one wants strike action. These these organisations do huge, valuable work for our society. We all know what they do, and a strike in this area would, you know, bring serious hardship, you know, to, to, to individuals. And we hope that the strike can be averted at all costs. So, you know, they're un- unusual organisations. Their structure is very unusual. Uh, you know, they're they're not paid by the government directly, but there is 54 million on the table now, and. And both all ministers that I've spoken to and the Thomas have said, yes, let's get back in there and talk and try and resolve the issues. So, Jackie, if all government ministers are in agreement that, that something needs to be done here, why is there a delay in, in, in resolving this quickly and trying to stop this industrial action? Well, you know, this issue was going on for a long, long time. And as I said, uh, you know, there is a significant offer on the table of 54 million, which is significant money for, the, for these voluntary organisations. So, you know, there is obviously, you know, when, when the, when the, uh, the organisations are threatening to go on strike, obviously there's very serious issues still on the table there for them. So let's get back to the table. Let's get let's try and get those ironed out. And, you know, there has been progress in this area over the last number of years, but obviously there's still serious challenges there for these organisations. And, you know, you can see why, um, you know, uh, they're losing staff to you know, go to the HSC at an alarming rate. And, you know, the HSC pay, um, pay, pay level is higher than the Section 39 yeah. and Section 56s. So that issue has to be addressed. And, you know, uh, as I said, we have made progress with these organisations over the last number of years. There is obviously seriously more work to be done. But as I said, there's an offer at the moment there are 54 million on the table. That's a great, surely a great basis to get down and try and iron out what the further difficulties are and try and get it resolved. I mean, it surely shouldn't have been left to get this far, though, should it? I mean, if, if there was already a knowledge there that there was a difference in pay between HSC staff and what the Section 39 workers were getting, should that not have been been handled before now? Well, I suppose, you know, this is going on a long, long time. I've been lobbying on this issue going back for five, six, seven years. This issue is going on for a long, long time. Progress has been made and different issues, different aspects of the issues have been sorted out. But I think pay parity and the retention of staff, you know, is still, there's still that critical issue there. And um, I think the payment levels have to be at the same level as the as, as HSE staff. Uh, I think that is recognised and is, get, is to get to that situation as quickly as possible. You know, there was a pay increase on the 1st of April 2023 and a further one on the 1st of November 2023, uh, 3% and 2%. But you know, obviously, that that is not going far enough to to to, to 
to balance um, the, 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 the to balance the imbalance that's there at the moment between HSE staff and and the staff of these two organisations. So let's get back around the workplace, the workplace and relations commission table, and get the issues that are there um, resolved once and for all. Jackie, have you heard, I know we have certainly on the show all of last week, we got a lot of calls and messages from families who will be affected by industrial action who are very concerned and very worried. I take it you've had calls and contact from people similarly who have concerns. Yeah, you know, these organisations form a vital cog in in people's lives and they're absolutely vital for families, you know, with with people with, 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 with certain certain issues. They provide a huge service and, you know, they, they... the family life revolves around the help that they get from these organisations. Yeah. And if there is a strike, it'll be huge disruption and huge hardship to the people who need to, you know, who need to look after the most. So, look, no one wants to strike here. I know the organisations um, don't want to strike either. So, you know, there is willingness on the government side. And instead, I rang, I rang the Tarnished and various ministers on Friday and Saturday, and I actually met the Tarnished as a thing I was at below in West Cork on Saturday morning. And, um, you know, he knows fully that this, this, this strike has to be averted. So hopefully today that, you know, that uh, I won't say common sense because, uh, you know, there is serious issues here, but that people will see that the best route forward is to get back around the table. Um, you know, Armageddon would be, would be strike action tomorrow. So let's hope that that can be averted. Would you be hopeful that this we could see a resolution to this then by the end of today? I think... I would be very hopeful and confident that we'll get a strike averted and get people back around the table, and that you know there will be further um, there will be further um, willingness on the government side to put more on the table to get this issue finally resolved. And I said, you know, um, you know, there is 54 million there. You know, I spoke to Minister McGrath and the Minister of Finance on Friday. And he said, look, we don't want to strike here. A strike, a strike here. These issues have to be resolved, and let's just let's just see exactly what's needed to finally resolve them. Uh, can I put to you, we got a text in from uh, Deputy Martin Brown as well, Sinn Féin Deputy Martin Brown. He says the problem here is the government, not the workers or the unions, um, that you, Jackie, have the chance to stand with these staff and vote against the government in protest. What's your reaction to that? Well, you know, we, we're in the business of resolving problems. As I said, there has been negotiations going on over a long period of time to get these issues resolved. There's been a lot of money put in put in by the Exchequer um, to these two organisations, and rightly so, and they deserve the money that has been put into them. Uh, we'll get around the table and we'll get the, we'll get the issues resolved. We're in the business of, of, of running the country and getting issues resolved. This is a long, ongoing issue that, you know, we have made a good bit of progress on over the last number of years, and hopefully in, the, in, in, a, in a short space of time, the, you know, the issues I had there about retention and, and the retention of staff and, and the levels of salary can be resolved once and for all. Okay, Jackie, can I ask you about uh, another kind of related story in the papers this morning? It's on the front of the mail this morning that Health Minister Stephen Donnelly has claims that he's lost control of his department and suggestions of a vote of no confidence in the minister over the lack of, I suppose, allocated funding for health in the budget. What's your reaction to that? Well, the Department of Health has got a record um, level of funding in the budget, and you know, rightly so, because you know, it, 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 twenty-two and a half billion was allocated in the budget uh, for for healthcare. That's a, a record um, figure for, for for the Department of Health. You know, obviously, you know, it has seriously run, run over budget this year. There was serious overrun there, and you know, every department at budget time are always arguing to get a larger slice of the cake for their own department. So. 
that was that that's no different. And um, you know, we have a growing population and an aging population. Uh, two very good things, but it brings its own challenges with them. And um, you know, the Department of Health has has a serious, serious appetite for money. And one suggestion I've made to to the to, to, to Minister to Minister McGrath is that the capital budget on the health side should be completely separate from the current budget. And you know, we have to invest in capital infrastructure and health. But we shouldn't be putting that, it shouldn't be all into the one budget that we can actually see how much the current budget is and what the capital budget is. And, you know, to really, the, the, you know, we have an embargo on staff in the administrative sector, in the, in the administrative sector at the moment in the, in the, in the HSC. And, um, you know, that's going to bring its own challenges. But hopefully the budget can be got under control. And Minister Donnelly is Minister for Health and he rightly is going to fight for more resources for his department. But I mean, Bernard Loster was speaking yesterday and he warned that the, the health service, the HSE, is facing a deficit of £1.5 and that's only by the end of this year. I mean, the buck stops with Stephen Donnelly on this. Well, the management of the HSE, you know, um, are there and they, they, they have made budgets and the overrun is on the budget that they put on the table. And it was the, you know, it was the management of the HSC would have presented the figures to, to Minister Donnelly. And the fact that there's £1.5 overrun I think some uh, senior members of the HSC have to say, have to say where is this overrun coming from and what, what has caused it, and today put the budgets together for the minister. So I think you know when there's questions to be asked about the overrun of the budget, I think senior executives in the HSC have serious questions to answer on that. Well, do you think Stephen Donnelly then too would have questions to answer? Well, could it, could I put it to you straight though? Do you have confidence in Stephen Donnelly as health minister? Yes, I do, and um, he's you know he's fighting very hard for his department. As I said, it's a department that, you know, over decades has, you know, has been a problem for every minister that's been there. There's, you know, there's an awful lot of, uh, of very severe challenges facing it, and um, you know they continue, they continue there. And as I said, you know, we have an aging population and a, and a growing population, and we have to invest um, and recognise that those two issues are going to put more and more pressure on our health service, and we have to invest in it accordingly. Okay, Jackie, good to talk to you this morning. Thanks for giving us the time today. Thank you. Thanks. All the best. That's uh, Tipperary TD Jackie Cahill there. Let us know what you think. 083 311 Emma is standing by. We're back after this. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Welcome back to Tip Today. A listener says, would you ask Jackie, does he think it's acceptable to wait eight weeks for a liver biopsy for cancer? They have an open door policy. That's what is increasing the population in this country. That's from one listener. Uh, David Doran also was in touch with us. Good morning, David. He says, not one euro put aside to reopen Nina A&E, which is contributing to lives being lost in Tipperary and adding daily to the mayhem in UL Hospital in Limerick. And still our government TDs express confidence in this government. It beggars belief. Keep those texts coming in to us 083 311 or 1800-938-007. Now, a story that broke Friday, and it's had a lot of discussion over the weekend, 
weekend and it's the story that the age limit to apply to join the Gardaí has been increased to 50. It's part of efforts to boost Garda numbers. The upper age limit has been 35 since 2004 and as well as the age uh, limit being raised, the fitness test is also being adapted for older entrants. So is this the solution to the drop in Garda numbers? Well, Richard Kennedy is Tipperary's GRA rep and he joins me on the line this morning. Richard, good morning. Morning. Good to talk to you this morning, Richard. I know the GRA um, kind of divided on this issue. Where do you stand on it? Do you think it's a good idea to up the age to 50? Look, at this stage, we'd welcome anything to get recruits in the door. But I suppose, in reality, it's people in their early 20s who need, not people in their early 50s, is the way you'd have to look at it sensibly. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of over and back on it. I mean, some people are arguing, well, people over 50, they have a bit more life experience. So, the, you know, when it comes to high intense situations, they might be a, a bit more level minded, maybe a bit more mature than younger people. They'll also bring some life experience. Is that how you would see it? But, but look, there's, a, there's, there's, there's roles for everyone within the force. We've, we've lots of people still working frontline in their in their 50s. Um but if you, I suppose if you look at it this way, many of the members that we're losing at the moment because of the retention problem are in their 50s. Mm. Because we have a fast, what's called a fast accrual pension, once we have a 30-year service, no members can retire once they're over the age of 50. Yeah. So you have a situation where you could have a, a fresh recruit in the car is the same lad who was retiring the following week. But as, at this stage, we take, we, we take anyone who, who's up to the standard and, and who's capable of doing the job They'd be more than welcome. There's a, there, would, there would be a role for them within the force. Would there be issues? You mentioned pensions there, but is there an issue when it comes to pensions? Because I know the guard of retirement. You might have to to correct me on this one, but it, it was thirty years service. Then it was reduced to age fifty five, and then changed again to sixty. What's the situation now? It's 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 it depends on a lot of it depends on when you join. Right. There's, there's there's actually three different pensions within the force at the moment. You have people who joined pre-95, after 1995, and people who joined post-2013. And they've all different pensions. Some have different ages when they can retire. Um, and as the pensions have gone from one type to the other, they've got gradually got worse. It's the, the post-2013 one is one that I'm contacted by members who have joined since then regularly. Is there anything can be done with the 2013 pension? Because it, it's it's not far off half of what someone who joined joined in from two thir- earlier than two thousand and thirteen. It's it's uh it's ba- it's not it's basically the same as the old age pension after doing that length of time. It's it's, it's um it's a, it's it's not up to the standard to to entice people to join. Well, certainly not at the age fifty where you are starting to think about your pension. Well, like people are at the stage, like lots of young members now. I know everyone should be. Tipped. The government are constantly preaching about people looking ahead to planning ahead for their pension, but mm. we have members in their twenties starting starting uh, special uh, AVC contributions now to try and have a pension that they that they could have a realistic prospect prospect of retiring before the age of sixty. But it's it's a it's a minefield at the moment that pension situation. Absolutely, and when it comes to then recruiting people from ages fifty and up, I know Helen McEntee speaking on it said it's it's her way of making the Gardaí more inclusive and less ageist. But is it just a cover for, uh, I suppose, 
an excuse to, to try and fill the gap, so to speak, because I know there is a letter into the editors in the Irish Examiner today from a former Garda, and he's saying that this recruitment age is just an act of desperation on her part. What would be your reaction to that? I probably agree. I probably agree with that writer. It, it does. Like, how many people are you going to get? At that stage, they're, they're, they're over fifty years of age. Most people at that stage have would would probably be well into maybe a mortgage commitment. Could have kids in college. You're not going to be in a situation where you could drop down to three hundred and five euros a week. Yeah, and especially you know and, during and, the age and of keep 50, a household going. Yeah, and you might have kids maybe going to college. I mean, that's not going to sustain a family. Oh, it's like. Like if, if you're going into that situation, if kids in college, you're looking at to put a kid through college at the moment is over ten thousand euros plus. Yeah. So like at three hundred and five euros, so wouldn't wouldn't even come close to doing that. And look, like anyone who who would, would be of that age now, generally would have, would have bought in peak in peak uh, property times, pre two thousand and seven. So they more than likely have a mortgage close to a thousand euros a week. Do you want to, do you think it will attract anyone over fifty? Very little. I'd, I'd be surprised if they get. I would be surprised if they break into double figures. Right. It's like you can't. We can't get. We can't get young people through the door. I don't know how to think we're going to get older people through the door. Like we 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 hear these numbers again. We had, had in the budget last week another thousand guards. We we're supposed to have eight hundred this year. Not going to happen either. And like they, I think it's kind of. I think it's kind of fancy land stuff. Makes a great headline. We're trying to be more inclusive and get more people through the door, but. It's it's not going to get the job done. Like the with the amount of resignations again this year, we've smashed through last year's figure. We're heading heading on heading at the moment. We're probably heading to end up with a figure closer to three hundred in the year of resignations. And Richard, is, those members that are that are resigning or retiring or maybe retiring early, do they generally have a universal reason for for pulling out of the guard so early? We 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 actually conducted exit interviews. Now it'll be published in the next couple of weeks. It'll be appearing in in, in their own internal magazine, and we'll probably picked up by the national press. But we got we got cited the reports last week, and pension was a factor in a lot of the resignations. It comes it, it it comes up, and there's cost of living. There's general and there's different bits of pieces. Like pension was mentioned by a number of the people who, who resigned as as a factor. People are people are I suppose these days are a lot more financial savvy, and they're looking where they're going to be and. 10, 15, 20 years and if something comes up with a possibly better pension they're, they're going to jump ship and get across to it. Mm. Can I ask you as well Richard about the roster dispute has that been resolved as far as the GRA is concerned? Well we, we've we've um, decided we're going back into negotiations as we look for, for the, as we were looking for for the last 12 months we were looking to go back into negotiations that's that's going to happen now um, we're going back we're the we were going on to a roster uh, from the 6th of November that we offered to the Garda Commissioner eight or nine months ago. So, look, we'll come back into negotiations. Hopefully, the negotiations will go well. They're, they're setting out the timetable at the moment for negotiations. It's going to be an extremely tense month of negotiations. And hopefully, we'll come to a solution at the end of it. But as part of that resolution, or proposed resolution, there are some units of the Gardaí, I believe, community and traffic, who will have to stay on the the roster that the Gardaí didn't want. Uh, there is some talk then amongst those divisions that they've been the sacrificial lamb in this. What would be your reaction to that? No, they're going to. It's, it's a it's a totally different new roster. It's um, there is a six four part of it that that was rejected, but it's um, it's a different roster to what the 
that they've ever worked previously. It's kind of a hybrid of the of the six four and the four four. Um, and look, where them units going to end up at the end of the negotiations, I couldn't say. Um, the community would have been generally as what who were non non core, what was considered non core people in the force have been moved back onto that. Um, look, there is some people not happy with it. That's always going to be the case in in, in any roster negotiation. But um, hopefully, when we get to the end of it, they'll be happy with what what comes at the end of the negotiations. Okay, Richard, thank you so much for talking to us today. We appreciate the time. No bother, Todd. Thank you. Thanks, Richard. That's Richard Kennedy there, Tipperary's GRA rep. Let us know what you think about the Garda age of recruitment now being raised to 50, 083 311 or 1800 Tony joins me on the line now. Hiya, Tony. Good morning. How are you? I'm good, Tony. Good to talk to you this morning. Can I be bound and ask you how old are you? I'm 65. Would you join the guards? for a year <laughs> <laughs> most definitely not I did 30 and that was enough oh you were in the guards previously yes, yes I, I, I served for 30 years in, in Angarda Shikona and was very happy to do so very good what do you think then of this proposal to raise the, the age to 50 I, a lot of our listeners seem divided on it some say it's a good idea some say it, it's just an excuse to try and plug the gap what do you make of it well I, I think there would no doubt uh, the two sides, there is correct on both sides, yes. But I do take the view that it is very much trying to close the, tr- close a gap to stop a, a, a terrible drain and to try and, and uh, get people into a job. That's, it, look, let's face it, people don't want to join and it's those reasons that have to be adjusted. Filling it with, um, look, let's, let's be honest, older people is not the solution. Policing is a young person's job. It is now we we've had all the arguments about yes they'll have um, a lot more experience yeah. yes that is correct but don't forget these people that they're looking to join they're not going to be in authority they're not going to be uh, making decisions up the line in 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 uh, order uh, uh, promotion wise these are people for the front line that are going to be joining and that is a young person's job and I don't care what anybody says if you're at fifty years of age your capability to deal with what's thrown at you 24-7 in a frontline job like that is a lot less than, say, somebody 25 years of age. And that is a fact. I understand what you're saying, but in my mind, if if we'll say my son turns 24 years old and he decides to join the guards, my heart would be in my mouth every day with him out in the streets facing God knows what. I'd have a lot more maybe reassurance of a 50-year-old maybe who's a lot you know, has a lot more life experience, maybe a bit more able to handle themselves out in the streets. Would there be that argument? Uh, No, there wouldn't, because the 50-year-old who has just joined will have no experience whatsoever. The 50-year-old who has the experience is somebody who's been there since they joined at 20, 23, 24 years of age. Yeah. So uh, it's it's all relative. We, We cannot expect people... Um, at, at 50 years of age, there's a lot. What we need to look at, this is, I, I think, it's, it's a proposal that has come out. I think it's causing a lot of, well, what controversy, but it's certainly um, leading to an awful lot of debate. But what what needs to be addressed, is, and I think Richard touched on it there recently, was that the reason why they're finding it hard to get people to join. And that is the core of the matter, that we have a, what used to be a very attractive job for people, we all remember going back years ago, it was the guards, the bank, nursing, Teaching. things like this that people yeah. joined. And it, these have now become not uh, the, the, the go-to job when people left school. 
And it's those reasons we need to look at. We have a situation that's, that's arisen over the last, I suppose, 30, 20 years, definitely, that, that the, the pay has decreased. And yet, when out in the outside world, the exponential rise in costs, especially in housing, and we had, um, the, I think it was the week before last, Verona Murphy in the Doyle highlighting the fact that recruits, or sorry, I'm using the wrong term now, students in Templemore, um, when they go in, they have several months uh, before they're uh, sent out to a station. Yet, they're not told until the very last couple of days where they're going to try and arrange accommodation. You know, it, it, it's a combination of factors that have made jobs like this unattractive to people. Mm. You raise a good point there too because I mean I don't think you could tell a 50 year old who decides to join the guards yeah I know you, I understand you're from West Kerry but we're going to put you in a Donegal station I mean I don't think that's going to fly is it? Yeah, certainly not we all know that joining I mean I was a corkman and, and my was Limerick so again it didn't particularly bother me mm. um I was, I was hoping I wouldn't be sent to Dublin because I'm not a great fan of huge cities. But again, the vast majority of that time, there were so many joining that most people from Dublin went back to Dublin and most people from the country went to the country within a reasonable distance. Yeah. It wasn't... Again, I'd been, I'd been living away from home before I joined, so it, it wasn't a thing that you were totally attached to home. But we, we, we have to realise in this day and age that the sensitivities of people, we have married people joining, we have people with children joining, that we have to look after the families. And I know it has become a problem in the last few years where people have been stationed in Dublin and they're trying to start a family, they're trying to get a home, they're trying to get on the property ladder, and they just cannot do it. Not only because of the, the cost of housing, but because the wages are so low. Mm. A listener raises an interesting point too. They say, I wonder if this is to facilitate retired Gardaí. They can return to the job with their pension and wages, just like what happened with the teachers some years ago. What do you think of that? Well, I don't think they'd be retiring. If, the, if, if they're talking of taking on people at 50 years of age, um, I, I just don't see why somebody would retire and go back again because the status quo would change because if you resign from your job and go back, you're, you're taken back on different sets of, of, of conditions. Yeah. It, it wouldn't be walking in. What we did see, and I, had, uh, I knew a couple of people in England, what they did with, with people retiring so as not to have a terrible brain drain, they brought them back as civilian employees. That's a good idea. So, I thought it was a win-win because the, 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 the police, uh, in that case, the police force, didn't lose the amount of, of um, local knowledge and things. Yet the, the, the people themselves, they received a gratuity, but they didn't get their pension until they retired. Yeah. In other words, they, they got paid for their job, but they weren't drawing down their pension. So it was a win-win situation in that, side, uh, in that sense. And it's something that perhaps we should look at here. But we all know that there are people, as they get older in jobs, they have vast amounts of knowledge. And and that is a problem insofar as when people retire, that knowledge goes with them. Tony, you said something earlier in the piece where you were talking about how the jobs that were once very attractive, like the Gardaí and teachers and nursing, they're not so attractive anymore. And you were wondering why. And in my head, I've been turning that around since you said it. And we're a more aggressive society, aren't we now? And the people who will face that aggression more are the people on the front line, like the teachers, the nurses, the Gardaí. Exactly. I think people have become, yes, society has become more aggressive. Not only more aggressive, but 
I suppose in, in, in a lot of ways, rightly so, they're entitled to know what is happening and they're entitled to ask questions. But there is a lot of aggression, and certainly there's a lot of fueled aggression that is that is shown, especially towards our frontline workers, uh, and we see it especially uh, at night time, yeah. things like this, when it's fueled by by strange substances, as we might call them, and alcohol and things like this, and that is all in the fact that people don't want this grief, and and. The other thing is that we need, we have to protect our frontline workers. We see, of course, unfortunately, coming up to Halloween, we'll see attacks. Yeah. Uh, hopefully not, but we'll, we've heard of it in the past, attacks on the fire services and things like this. And There's very little um, consequences for people who take this action against our frontline workers. And that is something that perhaps needs to be addressed to make things more attractive. We've got to have a, a service that's, that's proportional in numbers and able to deal with modern society. <clears throat> and, and that not only includes training, but it includes support and law to deal with this. Yeah, and, and is just attractive for people to join. Tony, great to talk to you this morning. Thanks for taking the time to talk to okay, us. Okay, thank you. Good All morning. the best. Bye-bye. Thanks, Tony. Uh, just some listener comments on this before I go to the ad break. A listener says civil servants can retire and come back and fill temporary posts. Another listener says these men are too institutionalised. They need to think outside the box. A listener says, I think the retirement age in the Garthi should be optional after 60, decided by each Garthi if they wish to continue in service for the next six years. All Garthi need to be looked after well for their great service to the country. As regards age, we all know people at 50 who are very energetic and wise and up for the challenge. That's from Tom in Horse and Jockey this morning. Another listener says, can you all stop saying 50 years of age? It's up to 50 years is the limit. So, for example, a 36-year-old would be well capable. No, not under these new proposals. People over 50 can now apply to be Gardaí, and that's what we're querying, whether that's a good idea or a bad idea. Keep those views coming in to us, 83 Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Welcome back to Tip Today. We're discussing rising the age of Garda recruitment to 50 and a listener says anyone who joins at 50 needs their head examined. I'm serving at 52 and Frontline is for young people. Management only concerned about management and the gap is widening between frontline and management. Keep those texts coming into us 083 311 Kieran joins me on the line now. Hi, Kieran. Uh, good morning. How good. are you doing? I'm good, Kieran. Good to talk to you this morning. Tell me, what do you think about this? Is this a good idea? Yes, I think this is a great idea. Why um, so? Why so? Well, look, first of all, um, every job that's in the country, everyone works beyond 50. Mm. And 60, the pension age has uh, gone up to 66. It's going to go to 67, 68. Well, Jeepers, will never retire here. To retire. And why should the guards be any different? Yeah. I mean, you do get very fit people in their 50s and 60s. I mean, you, you meet some people in their 50s and 60s a lot fitter than people in their 20s. So I think it's probably wrong to assume that people in their 50s aren't physically able for the job. Correct. And... You had a, a previous uh, speaker on there, a retired guard, and all the guards, they will knock this because, to me, it's a closed shop. They love the way it is. The rules for uh, joining the guards were set up a long, long time ago, 
The world has moved on. Jobs have moved on. Lifestyle has moved on. When, if you join the Guards at 24, you serve your 30 years and you're retired. Mm. It's too young. Yeah. Why, why, why wasn't I able to retire from my job? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, they're, they're stone, it, it's stone age. So but it is. I'm sure some you people might say, and some guard, they might tell you it's a very stressful job and it it, it's he- it weighs heavy on you physically and emotionally. And maybe that's why Gardy retire early. I would I would agree. Every job is stressed. All uh, teachers, nurses, farmers, uh, black players, lorry drivers, taxi drivers. There's a hard job. Uh, but you, you can compare a taxi driver to a guard. I mean, you know, guards are going out, you know, they're they're rescuing people off bridges if they're suicidal, they're going to car crashes, they're going to horrific, very traumatic events. So it is Correct. it is a very specialised job in that regard. And if a 24-year-old can be trained for it, I can't see how a 54-year-old yeah. couldn't be trained for it. And every person that would be uh, up to 50 that would join the guards, he's not going to be on the front line. Or the lady that joins, she's not going to be on the front line. They, 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 there's niches within the guard force that they could be used for, like uh, liaison officers, uh, computer work, but the, but those are specialised roles, though, and you have to serve your time on the front line before you can go for those. Agreed. And like, if if they if if I join the guards at fifty, and I work to sixty five or sixty six as it as it keeps going up, mm. you you can gather experience in three, four, five years, pretty fast. I mean, these people will be interviewed for the job, and they won't get the job if the people that are interviewing them don't think that they could shape them into a Garda going forward. Do you think the whole recruitment process has to change? Because like we were talking about, you know, student Garda can be stationed anywhere. So you could have somebody like the example I gave living in Kerry who's stationed in Donegal. If you're trying to attract people over 50, you're not going to attract them with those current implications there. Right, and I I heard that with your uh, previous uh, person that you interviewed. But that's the same for every job. Whoever goes for that job, I'll have to take that into consideration. But you know it beforehand. With the guards, you go for it and then you're told where you're going. Whereas if I applied for a job in Dublin, you know, I'd know which station I'd be applying to. It's not a case of I'm applying and then I'm told you're going working in, in Dublin. Well, maybe you're correct. Maybe uh, before they start interviewing people for uh, the garden at the older age group, yeah, that they'll have to make changes to the way they're uh, stationed. Like if if it's someone in Tipperary and they're in their fifties, well, maybe they'll have to make it more parochial mm. where they go. I know why they never put them in the same town, or it'd be different if a guard went for the guards in Dublin or maybe Cork or Limerick or Galway, whatever, and they can station them there because you have the population density. But they're going to have to change, grow with the way society is going. 
And um, I just can't see how another person um, could not move into the position of the guards in some shape or form. I know I haven't the experience. I was never a guard, and there probably fellas laughing at me now making a statement like this. But Would you join I, yourself? Well, you know what? There was a time I would, but I'm too old now. I'm 65. You're, you're just out of it, so... Yeah. Yeah. If it was so, 10 years so, ago, would you have? Yes. Yeah. Once uh, Irish wouldn't be involved. Right. I mean, if you, you know, I mean, there, there's a rule that was there. If you don't know Irish, you wouldn't get a look in. Yeah. You know, the, the rules are antiquated. And they need the to way, change. The, the, the guards have to accept change, but you see, no one likes change. That's the problem. Kieran. I'll have to leave it there. We're out of time. I'm okay. afraid for this morning. Great Good to talk, talk to you. Thank Thanks, you very Kieran. much. Appreciate it. Tip you. today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Welcome back to Tip Today this Monday morning. Huge reaction to our discussion on the raising of the Garda recruitment age to 50. I'll just bring you some of them now. Paul Lafford was in touch. Hi, Paul. He says, I have the utmost respect for Garda and all emergency personnel. They do a job I couldn't do. And whatever training they gave me, I wouldn't have the mental capacity to cope with it. Garda have always enjoyed a great relationship within the communities they serve. But regrettably, recent scandals such as the Morris McCabe issue have tarnished that relationship. I've some great friends who served in the force and even they will agree with me that it's not the same these days. I know these are different times, but senior management have presided over some PR disasters, making a Garda career unpalatable for many people, with even serving members walking away or retiring early. That is a grave pity and a shame. Uh, Paul was also in touch to say that Garda are entitled to be supported when they do their jobs. Another listener says, I remember when we were growing up and to have a family member or neighbour getting into the guards was a big deal. Nowadays, it's more like God help them. There's no respect being a guard. Payment and conditions don't help either. Pat also said specialised roles could be filled with experienced people from outside. Uh, Pat in Ross Gray said perhaps the guards, if they were paid a decent salary, there might be a far greater amount joining the force. Also, who wants to be part of an organisation where one can end up in court because you chase criminals and they decide to drive on the wrong side of the road? A uh, listener says, serving Garda here. Your current speaker, that was Kieran, has no idea of the job of the Garda. One of the biggest problems is the amount of members not on the front line, not on regular units, detective offices or traffic. The three main and crucial roles. Uh, there are still thousands of members behind desks doing admin work, hiding from the front line work. Hundreds teaching in the Garda College that should not be there while the stations can't be opened. Uh, the last one, then I'm a retired guard. That man isn't taking into account that it's the shift work and change in hours that uh, every week that's different to other jobs, such as nights, late shifts. Uh, it's a known fact that shift work takes an average of seven years off your lifespan. Keep those texts coming into us 083 311 3311 or 1800 938 007.
Now, the GAA is being called on to re-evaluate its parish rule in relation to juvenile transfers. This may not seem like a huge issue in GAA, but actually a number of families are taking legal action as a result of the rule. Nalgany is a sports law solicitor who's representing some of these families and he joins me on the line now. Niall, good morning. Good morning, Alison. How are you? I'm good. Good to talk to you this morning. Thanks for taking the time for us today. Could you tell us, first of all, what exactly is the parish rule? Sure. So the parish rule as regards to children, and we'll deal with children specifically here, yeah. uh, prevents a child from moving to a different club if there is an objection raised by the outgoing club. So the current system that's in place is that if you, your child decides they want to leave their current club, you submit uh, your request to your old club. You also submit that to the new club you want to go to. And then that application goes to the County Competitions Control Committee to decide. In numerous cases, once you're outside of what's known as a transfer window at the start of January each year, if you're within beyond the 31st of January, in numerous of those cases, they're rejected straight out on the basis that you should remain with the parish that you live in and that your family reside in, uh, and you don't have that freedom to move out to a different club. Most of these cases involve situations where children are either subjected to you know, perceived bullying or isolation within a club, or they're just for some particular reason not happy in the club that they're at. Uh, and their parents deem it best just to remove them from that situation and get them into a different club. They don't ever generally have a problem finding a new club, and most of the new clubs will find the straight away. But it is the outgoing club that sometimes will say, well, hang on, we'd like to investigate this a little bit further, so we object to it. Or even in situations where both clubs agree to it, then the CCC can still decide, well, we're actually not happy to move this child to the parish rule. So at the moment, I've had numerous cases over the last two years where parents are contacting us saying, look, what can be done here? Firstly, I don't really understand the rule. I don't know why my child can't move. And if, you know, if they do really need to move, do I need to go to very far exceptional circumstances, be it getting medical reports, etc., to prove that my child is actually saying what's correct here and, and, and you know, essentially doubting what the child is saying that we need then to get reports to, to put in under what's known as an exceptional circumstances application. So that's the problem at the moment that's there. Um, many parents don't feel that they want to go down the route of having their children going through reports and, and various assessments to see that yeah, there that is issues there. Yeah, that sounds mad. Yeah, and, you know, I, I think if a parent is saying my child has a problem here, I, I wish to remove them. To be to be questioned upon that uh, and to have to prove additional evidence, to me, is a burden too far. Yeah. I mean, what do you think the reason is? Is it a case of that, that clubs maybe are being a little bit bitter in it and they don't want to see their own club members going to what are probably rival clubs so they will do anything they can to block it? It's not a case of maybe they want to keep the child, but they just don't want the child going to another club. There's an element of that. I think there's also maybe... That the parish rule is there to protect parishes, to protect communities, uh, to keep smaller clubs in place. And I don't think, and certainly not what I'm calling on, is, is not to in any way dilute that because I think it's very important that we have smaller clubs. But if there's a genuine concern there and there's something going on that a child genuinely feels like they don't want to be in that environment anymore, I think there's an onus on everybody to, to listen to that child yeah. and to listen to the child's parents and say, well, okay, in this particular circumstance, will let this child off. It is in their best interest. And if you look at the, the GAA, their ethos, the same with the LGSA, it is about protecting the child. Uh, and child welfare is so important these days. Child safeguarding is so important these days. And yet we have this 
you know, almost antiquated system whereby you have to go off and get professional reports to prove it. I, I recently had a case where somebody submitted an application, uh, a very long application. They, they, they did quite in-depth um, study themselves as parents and produced a five- or six-page document that I went through with some of them before we submitted, only to get literally a one-liner back saying, this is not exceptional circumstances. Wow. No, and, and then they went further and said, well, okay, well, can you tell us what is exceptional circumstances? Uh, and they were told, there's actually no list of exceptional circumstances. It's a unique case, case-by-case case space. Just give us, if you've got additional information, give it to us and we'll then tell you whether we've been back. That, in my view, is just not okay. Yeah. You need to have a list there as to what people can rely on. And then there needs to be, you know, a, a coherent system in place that these parents can rely on each time. Can I ask you, Kieran, and to play devil's advocate in this for a moment, um, do, this rule, I presume one of the big protections it gives clubs is that if you have a club maybe that's in a lower grade, maybe a C or a D, and they have a really good player who wants to win medals and wants to win championships, and they have an opportunity to go to an A or B club, that it protects the club from losing players to better clubs. Yes, yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and if there is no genuine circumstance why that child should be allowed to leave the club, then, OK, perhaps that's acceptable. But if there is a reason, if, there's, if, there is, if the parents deem there to be some good reason why that child is unhappy, and in most of these situations, they are genuine cases where the club already know that that particular child is, is, is not happy in, in the current situation they're in. So I have seen very few cases, Alison, where... You know, it, it is somebody who is, I suppose, using the system to move from a lesser club to a, to a higher level club. I haven't seen many of those cases at all. Okay. Any of the cases that come before me are genuine cases where, you know, in fact, quite a lot of them do have medical reports already or do have some form of reports to say that their child is really in need of getting out of this particular situation. And they're the cases I'm, I'm trying to focus upon here, not the ones where somebody is just trying to get into a better team because that will always happen. Yeah. And we've always had that situation where, you know, granny's utility bill will be used to show a different yeah. permanent residence. That's been going on for years. That's not what we're talking about here. And we need to be very clear on that, that it is genuine cases we have here. This is why last week it boiled over. I, I had a number of cases come in um, and I just thought enough was enough. We had to we had to write to Minister Byrne, set out that there is an issue here that really needs to be looked at. I also, as, as you've probably have seen in the report in the examiner last week, we also wrote to the LGSA just asking, what are these exceptional circumstances? Mm. Can you give us an indication as to what they are? At least parents then know what they're dealing with. And then I think beyond that, as most listeners will know, anybody who's been involved in, in a judicial process in any sport know the timelines are important. And we have a scenario here at the moment with these transfers that there doesn't seem to be timelines for anything except for when you need to appeal a decision made. So you have parents submitting these applications and they're waiting weeks and weeks for any type of results. If their hearing has to take place, they're waiting weeks for that to be assigned. And then a decision is made and suddenly there's 72 hours to submit an appeal. And that's very strict. Yeah. And there's no, no, uh, no leeway on that. So what I'm calling for really is a, just a better system to deal with juvenile trans. Um, and that would be very time-specific uh, the rules would be very clear as to what needs to be submitted. Um, and then if there is an appeal system, again, that appeal can happen quite quickly, but involving potential experts, you know, child welfare experts that are in there that can read these reports clearly or can read a letter from a parent and really 
see in it that there is genuine concerns for a child. That's the so we're trying to achieve here overall. Yeah, what I mean, it seems meant to me that that parents are having to take legal action on this. What is the legal process that's involved? And to be clear, there is no current legal action being taken by any parent. Uh, what these parents are doing is they're approaching me on the basis of just assisting them to comprehend the rules and find out, look exactly what is the process involved here. Uh, we don't have any parents at the moment who are wishing to take legal action against anybody. They just want to get their child moved to a, a safer and better environment for them. So we need to be careful when we talk about taking legal action against any entity. We're not doing that. Right. What we're trying to do here is highlight an issue that's there uh, and try and see if we can work with both the GA and LGSA to create a better system, something that works and that we don't have children that are out of play for two years. I, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to our 18 months to two years of children standing by. And, and to be clear, not just in, in GAA circles, in other sports also where we have issues with transfers, that they're just waiting too long. And in a, a child who's 12 or 13 and having a two-year gap in the sport that they want to play, that's huge. And that really can affect them both physically and mentally. Uh, and that needs to be stopped. Niall, is there a particular age group where this is a big problem? More often, you're looking at to, to just over 12. So uh, there is obviously up to a certain age, you can move freely between clubs. And once you reach that under 12, then you're into a different sphere. So you're looking at the 12, 12, 12 to 15 year olds are, are the, the big problem area here, um, where they're just potentially getting to that point, I suppose, where you know they're changing themselves and, and confidence might not be where, where it was previously. Yeah. Um, and then certain somebody says something on the sideline or, or something happens over a period of time that continues and continues and can lead them to feeling very isolated and not happy within that club space. So that's the age group that I'm calling on between the, the 12 to right up to the 17s probably and saying, look, we really need to look here and see, can we just have a better system in place for those children to see if it's a case that their parents feel it's not a safe environment for them, uh, we can get them moved out quite quickly if it's a genuine case. If it's not a genuine case, of course, that's different. But in these genuine cases, I believe that's what we need to look at now. And again, I call on the Minister to look at this very urgently. This is not something that we can put on the long finger. Yeah. Uh, over this weekend alone, last week when, when the article came out in the examiner, um, I, that night, I think, I, I can't count the amount of emails that I got that night from parents saying, thanks for raising this, this is, this is amazing. Even again this weekend, I saw an email came in on Saturday evening from a mum highly distraught about her, about her daughter not being able to move um, and just thank me for raising this minister. And I would say, look, let's look at this together. Uh, we're not talking about legal action. Let's be very clear about that. Mm. We're talking about looking at this as a group and seeing is there just a better way of doing it for people. Yeah. Can I ask you, is there a geographical demographic you're seeing in this or is it spread right across the country? Right across the country, Alison. Right. Right across the country. The whole... Uh, I, I, I don't want to name specific of course. counties because yeah. it'll start... Um, identifying people very easily, but no, it is it, it is across the country. It's not Munster-based or anything like that. It's right across the country. Another listener raises an import or uh, an interesting point, and I, I'd love your your take on it. He's wondering how much of this is more the parents than the children. It's a good question, um, and in sport generally, I think as we all know, parents. It can get very excited about their children and can, can think that their child is, is the next biggest thing and will do anything to move them into the best possible situation to get them further up the ranks. 
I do think, though, that the majority of cases I'm seeing where you have children that are genuinely now suffering as a result of what's going on, and you can you can tell it pretty easily from the parents you speak to if there's a genuine concern where a child is, is almost physically ill as a result of having to go training every oh, week. Oh, God. Um, again, another father that I'm acting for at the moment trying to give some advice on this for his son is, is a physical element has now emerged out of the mental element. That's just not the parents. No. There's something genuine there. Um, and I suppose what we're seeing in a lot of cases, what clubs are saying is if there's something genuine, let us investigate it. And this is where some of the delays happen, where the outgoing club will say, OK, you've raised an issue. Let us investigate it and we'll, we'll produce a report at some stage and then we can feed that into the system. The issue there, though, is a lot of these clubs are very small. Everybody knows everybody. Yeah. Um, and it's a very difficult situation to try and start investigating something between two, two children. So that generally doesn't work, or certainly there's a huge delay involved in that. Um, so that's not, not really the solution here. But to answer a specific question, yeah, look, you'll always have some of it that's parent-led, but I do think the genuine cases are mostly to do with exactly what the child is doing. Yeah, gosh. Niall, anyone who's looking to contact you or to find out more about it, how can they do that? Yeah, sure. Um, I, again, the old Google is the best resource, yeah. I suppose, for finding people these days. Um, they can contact me on email, which is niall at gainysolicitors.ie, uh, or you can contact any of my offices but in, in Cork, Limerick and Dublin. Um, by all means, I'll chat to anybody at any stage if they have any queries that might be able to just even guide them in the right direction. Um, we, we just need clarity on this from, from, you know, the central committees do need to tell us what is acceptable under this exceptional circumstances rule. That is, that is my big question at the moment for people who particularly don't want to put their children through, you know, vast assessments to try and find out what's going on. Can we just have a better way of doing this and, and a swifter way because nobody should be able to play that long. It's affecting children far too much. Absolutely. And it's just, it, that's not unreasonable. Niall, thanks so much for talking to us this morning. No problem. Thanks for taking the time. That's uh, Niall Ganey there, sports solicitor. In relation to that, a listener says, oh my God, thank God this has been brought up. My son wanted to move club after his dad and I split up. But because his father is chairman of the club, he said the decision is his as chairman and won't sign off on it. It's all who you know in clubs. They're a little click and it's all about them and not the children. Let us know what you think. 83 311 we're back after this. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Welcome back to Tip Today. A lot in this morning on what we've been discussing. I'll bring you some of it. Uh, listener says, with regards to the child welfare and safeguarding measures, it's so disappointing the measures and club structures that are available to all are not functional and children and young people's voices are not being heard. Where a child is upset, it's natural the parents are best placed to know their child and each club should be respectful of the child and the parents. No situation should occur where a child needs sport in their lives. Uh, in relation to the Gardaí and the raising of the recruitment age to 50, a listener says the Gardaí should have been shown over the last... Sorry, the Gardaí have been shown over the last few years as nothing more than state security. They'll break up a striking picket line or arrest someone for not having a TV licence or escorting fascists into libraries to harass staff or help with illegal evictions. Then there's the continuous corruption. 
I live in a town where we never see Gardaí on the street, literally only seen them downtown to get their coffee. Let all those 50-year-olds join. It won't change anything. They'll just be more useful bully boys for the state. Another listener says... So a young female Garda on her own at Circle K in Cashel, being surrounded by a young group. The shop rang them as thieving was going on. The abuse the Garda got was unreal. Fair play, she was well able for them. But who would want to be a guard? I definitely would not want my daughters to be guards. That's from Mick. Uh, another listener says in relation to the GA my son was intimidated and commented on from one or two teammates when he was hurling he was a good little hurler never gave an ounce of bother to trainers a quiet boy I highlighted it it was ignored he left and hasn't hurled since Um, that's from one listener it's nasty boys intimidating their teammates and they get away with it depending on the family they're from it's very very upsetting keep those texts coming in to us 083 311 or 1800-938-007 now we're back to budget issues and even though last week's budget was deemed to be a good one for pensioners we got a call from a listener who says despite promises that the cost of living will be eased they're now actually worse off Margaret joins me on the line. Margaret, good morning. Hello, Alison. How are you? I'm good, Margaret. Good to talk to you this morning. Yes. Tell me, Crater, what, what's going on? Why do you feel like what you're worse off? went on years ago, Alison, uh, two years ago, through the government when I was getting, I said then, allocated a partial pension through the husband so they could have money themselves, right? That was fine. Went down to Social Welfare Office. This is a long story was shocking for you. Yeah. Went down to Social Welfare, went to this say, yes, Margaret, this is what the government allocation was. At the time, small amount of money, that's fine. And I said, what happens then? I said, when I become a pension, was just a couple of years later. Mm. Or they said, you'll automatically, when you go to collect your money, you'll be transferred to your entitlement as a pensioner. That did happen. Now... And I went to assistant vice and the source worth and double, I'm a double checker, Alison, right? Yeah. Went there and they said, what you'll get now, Margaret, said, if the government allocates any increase, you'll automatically get it. As we know, we all got a fiver. Mm. So I said, that's grand. And I became well known down the post office. All my friends and I, they deducted me 50 cents. What? <laughs> what for? To have no idea. It became known down there. It became the best fun we ever had down there. But apart from that, then, everything was fine. And so I accept that. That was fine. No good. Then we, we're in receivership now of these documentations, looking for everything we have. Credit union, post office, if we have a policy or any other hidden savings. And how so often went, would you get those letters? This is my first one, Alison. Yeah. This is what frightened me after 16 years. Never knew about no one. At that time, we had a great social letter on the post office, and we spoke about everything. If someone had a husband had a little private pension, she got less on a nana butler. Never heard about this, Alison. Mm. So I went to a said person and said, Oh, fill it off, you'll be fine. So I suppose legally, I had to. Yeah, so you so had I to declare whatever savings that you have. Alison, it was degrading. Why so? Because you have you you had no privacy, yeah. you have no your little way going on, and any savings at my age or people my age will have, Alison, mm. up to the best of their ability, is for the funeral expenses. They are not going to leave that to their children. Yeah. 
Yeah. Now, they will have maybe a uh, um, post office or Craig's Young, which most of us had the same routine back then. We don't meet like we used. That was back before the pandemic. Mm. And, of course, we spoke about these things. Never heard of this. So have you, I suppose you had to give in your receipts, though, and show everything. you have savings. Everything. Have you been denied payment because of declaring I your savings? I would have probably been denied, Alison, if I didn't do it. Right. So I did it. I mean, I'm frightened. I'm frightened of legalisation, as any person would be. What does a pensioner do now? Can they keep saving? Is this documentation going to come back until you go leave the, the earth? Yeah. What is? Are we frightened now? Is this coming back again? I can understand. What What's the limit of savings you can have? Well, the limit before they come near is twenty thousand. Right, which isn't a lot of money. This isn't a lot of money, Alison. To live, you know. Look, listen, Pet. That alone is. I don't have um, policies or anything like that. I don't believe in account for the premiums anyway. So this is my way of covering and an emergency. Yeah. Which I had two emergencies in the house was water down to the ceilings. Now, if I hadn't that little money that I had declared to them aside, who was going to pay for the work? And should, that's thousands. There you go, Alison. Yeah. Thank you. So now what they're doing, and my explanation is, Alison, they've control to financial abuse by sending out these letters after 16 years. How many more people have received them? Or have they received them? Or did they know about it? Or is it going to be ongoing now, I we say, after another five years or whatever? You must be dreading the post coming in every morning, are you? Where are you going to put your little bit of money now? Yeah. Keep you in the house and fear of that happening? And many poor persons terrified. That must have. I can't be the one who received that. Yeah. I never heard of it, Alison. No, I haven't either. Never. Now, we've spoke about everything going down outside that post office. We laugh, and the biggest laugh ever they got down there. All the lads, some of them have retired now. And all the lads with the blessing, the girls saying, oh, we can get a bond now, we got our fiver. And oh. they say, well, Margaret, you are right. And grand girl, why, what happened? I said they needed 50 cents. I said, God love them. I said they had to get me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you I can said, laugh about it. You have to, Alison. Yeah. I mean, did you ever hear that? But you just feel like they're giving you with one hand and they're taking away more with the other. They're don't taking you a hell of a lot away. They yeah. took nine euro. Uh, nine nine. euro, they don't even know what it looks like. So all it? you have now is, is you've gained six, have you? Because it was 15 up, was it? Or was it no, 12? 12. 12. Mm-hmm. So you're so three, up. three Three. Oh, God, Margaret. I know that by your bun. Uh, I won't. I don't oh. think so because I'm about four fifty now. Oh, and that was the last on the point. It was even all the lads inside the counter. Yeah. Even you know, it was great. Red did they give it back to you? You know, but it was fun. I wasn't going to query fifty cents. You know, and um, but all I want to know is this happening out there? Has it been going on without knowledge? Yeah. Or is it going to go on now? Until when? And can you increase your savings in case they come back to you and you have to document everything again? I know, and I wonder what would happen if you didn't declare it. Like, I'm sure, would they have access to revenue that they could find out about? This is it. Yeah. I don't know. All they told me down in social welfare and one TD, I feel I mean, you'll be all right. They never give an explanation whether they're going out or whether they will go out again in 16 years again, yeah. 10 years. Or they might review it every year. There you go. Yeah. You have no control over these papers, Alison. No. As a lay-by, you know, you have no control over them. Oh, and poor people will go back, Alison. And I know 
I heard of them a couple. I can't talk about them because I don't yeah. know them. Were in Queen, what they're going to do with their savings. That's my husband's hard working money. Yeah. I do know that. And they're trying to hide savings that Where? they're probably not even going to use, but just to have it as a as It's a an emergency. Yeah. Yeah, listen, it's an emergency. And the most important thing, my kids would kill me now for saying this because I'm always on. They say, Mom, don't be worrying about going away. You are not going to leave funeral expense on top of your children regardless of anything. I know, but you don't even want to be thinking about that. No, but you do have, I would have to have um, cash there for them, yeah. money there for them, which I have. I've got everything documented. Oh, for but what do I do now? I know. Even fear every day? Well, I won't even fear every day. My children won't allow it. But what other little person is out there? Or are they out there worrying? Well, you put it out to them this morning, Margaret. That's what I said, Claude, yeah. yeah. And um, you said from friend, of course, we're, oh, would you, would you do one little favour? I won't hold you up. Of course. I can't say my name. Would you say hello to Bobby? Oh, Bobby. Well, he's an advent listener to um. We all are at four raises in this house, and they're all on at six o'clock in the morning. Oh, you're very and good. And Bobby spends his day out in the kitchen. And he said that Alison, did you listen to Brent Curry last night? Well, or <laughs> Alison, she's some researcher. <laughs> oh, go out of that. Go on, Bobby. But, but Alison, I felt Friday morning. I'm so upset. I mean, I was I upset. Know. I was terrified of what was happening. But look, but Margaret, I have no information, you see. Look, we'll, we'll put it out there now and we'll see Do if anyone love. has some advice for us. Okay, Do and love. we'll get back to you on it, Margaret. But don't Do be worrying it. about it. God is good. No, my, as my children said, she's out now and we're there and everything else. Yeah. But it's 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 very degrading, I know. to say that this is your 100% right, a yeah. partial state pension, and then to turn around and look for everything. I know. That's not right, Alison. It's not. Margaret, we'll it's have not. to leave it there for this morning. All we'll right. We'll be on God. to you again. All right, love. God bless and thank you so much for your courtesy. Not at all. My pleasure, thank you, Margaret. Have a good morning. You. That's poor old Margaret there. If you know anyone in a similar situation or have any advice for her, please let us know. 083 311 or 1-800-938-007. On to a different issue now. Paddy joins me on the line. Hiya, Paddy. It's Alison here, Paddy. How are you? Alison, right, yeah, not too bad. Good, Paddy, you contacted us in relation to grass cutting in Thurless. What's the situation? Uh, yeah, up, up here in Collins Park. They, they haven't cut the grass for eight months. Right. And uh, and the hedges around going out over the over the foot, foot pad. This, this is the council. Right, so it, it is the council's responsibility. You're sure about that? The count, yeah, it's yeah. the council property. Okay. Uh, have you been in touch with any local councillors in relation to it? I have, yeah. I might have been in touch with now with, with, you, with you. You get more response. Oh, gosh. Whereabouts? Tell me exactly where it is, where the area is. I think Collins Park. Collins Park, okay. And and, and, and did. Sorry. No, go ahead. Are you there? Sorry. No, go ahead. You're okay. Yeah, but what um, no, there's, a, there's another park as well uh, that just come up and caught it with, the, with more and it's spread out over the over the, the road and the path and everything. It's, it's, it's a disgrace. Okay, so it's the cuttings that have been left, is it? Yeah. All yeah. right, okay. Um, so you have been in touch with the council. I mean, is it a case that, that maybe the people there in Collins Park could get together maybe and, and cut something or cut the grass or the hedges? Would that be an option? Well, I'm not going to cut them either because they're nearly 80 years of age. Right. Okay, well, that's fair enough, Paddy. 
I don't want to have anything to do with it. That's up to them. I'm yeah. paying tax since I was, since I was uh, well, I was working since I was 14, so you can know what age that would be. But, um, so you've paid your way as far as you're concerned? Yeah. yeah. But it, 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 and, I, and I tell you, so the money I'm, I draw down the money now that I'm getting, I'm getting about 280 euros a week. Like. Right. You wouldn't, you wouldn't get a lot out of that. Are you finding it difficult to sustain yourself with that? Well, uh, I got a fill of oil there last Friday. Oh, gee. Six, 600 euros. Ouch, Paddy. Yeah, like, I'm not getting 2,000 a, a, a week like Mert and, and, he's, and, he's, and, he's, and the other two that be with, with him. I know. They get 2,000 a week. Like. Well, I'd say it's more than that now, but... Yeah. Well, look, Paddy, we, we have it out anyway about the hedges and the, the grass in Collins Park and hopefully somebody will get back to us on it. Uh, we'll, we'll stay in contact with you and see that it's dealt with. Is that OK? Yeah, OK. I am. Yeah. Right. Good to talk to you, Paddy. We've Global Politics with Thomas Conway on the way. If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-007. Welcome back to Tip Today. It's time for Global Politics now. And Thomas Conway joins me in the studio as always. Thomas, good morning. Good morning, Ali. Good to talk to you this morning. I suppose in terms of global news, there's only one story on the agenda today. Only one story on the agenda, and that's Israel and Gaza, Israel and Palestine. And it is an appalling situation, really. I mean, no matter which way you look at it, which side... Uh, there are people dying, there are civilians dying. It really is a situation that looks like it will deteriorate further before it gets better. The current situation on the ground is uh, a humanitarian corridor seems to be possible uh, from Egypt, or from Gaza into Egypt. That is being mooted at the moment. Uh, so it may be possible to transfer some Gazan civilians uh, out the gap into Egypt and possibly save their lives. But of course, we had this major exodus over the weekend, a flow of Gazan refugees essentially forced out of their homes and down through through the Gaza Strip, essentially, uh, because Israel is preparing for a ground offensive. Now, that ground offensive It'll be very interesting to see how it goes. I mean, this is the opportunity that Israel have now to wipe out Hamas. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has said so. He has stated that that's his mission, that that's his goal here. Whether they can do that remains to be seen. It's more complicated than it looks, I will tell you that. Hamas have a series, a network of tunnels nestled underneath the ground in Gaza, which they operate in. Uh, they, they plan strategy down there. They're able to hide, hide out, of, uh, out of sight of the military. It's going to be an exceptionally difficult situation from, a, from an Israeli perspective, despite the fact that their military is far more advanced than, than anything Hamas could throw at it. Uh, but it is still going to be an incredibly difficult task ahead you, of them. You also have the, um, the the other added issue as well of hostages. You have over 100 hostages. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see what Israel's attitude is. Will it be to rescue the hostages or will they be collateral damage? Yeah, and that is the really, that is the pressing question at the moment. I mean, Hamas has said that some hostages have already been killed, uh, some in airstrikes, uh, some, I suppose, by their own means. But it is a really, really precarious situation for anyone. And you just, your heart would go out to anyone who has family members in a hostage situation. I saw a video last week of a man uh, 
grateful that his daughter had been killed rather right. than having been taken hospital or t- taken hostage you know and that just outlines the gravity of the situation i mean there's no getting around it hamas are a serious terrorist organization they are dangerous they are brutal and they demonstrated that last saturday week uh, they demonstrated what they're just capable of and the brutality that they could inflict but now it is a precarious situation. Israel is going to have to be very careful. If they want to rescue these hostages, they're going to have to make sure their response is somewhat proportionate uh, and they're going to have to have negotiators out. Um, it hasn't been proportionate so far, though. I'd have to. I mean, we saw white phosphorus bombs being dropped in Gaza yeah, last week, yeah. which are illegal. Illegal, and that is the thing. And that is, when you look at this situation, you see on one hand the, the brutality inflicted by Hamas in one hand, on one hand, and then you look at the Israeli response and though Israel has a right to defend itself, completely entitled to defend itself, defend its own citizens, but a proportionate response, I think, was key. And I think many world leaders have advocated that from Anthony Blinken was in, the US Secretary of State was in the Middle East uh, just a couple of days ago. He may still be there. President Biden has said so, President Macron, across across the developed world, uh, leaders have pleaded on Israel to to make sure their response is not too brutal, is proportionate to uh, uh, to what has been happening to them. It's a really, really difficult situation, Ali. I mean, I I just I, I can't speak enough about how my heart would go out to to those involved in it. Particularly, yeah. you know, you the families of the likes of Kim Dante, the Irish citizen involved. I think Leo Varadkar came out. The Taoiseach came out this morning saying there are. Uh, up to 40 Irish people living in Gaza, you know, obviously under awful circumstances at the moment now as well. So it's going to be really difficult to to extract those citizens, particularly in these circumstances. A lot of criticism directed as well at Ursula von der Leyen for putting EU support behind Israel. What did you make of that? Yeah, it's an interesting one. It's an interesting one because Israel is obviously allied. It's allied very strongly with the US, a little bit less so towards the EU, but it is still a friend of the EU. Now, the EU has for years advocated a two-state solution to the conflict in, in Israel and Palestine, and that is a solution whereby a separate Palestinian state would coexist alongside that of Israel. That is pie-in-the-sky stuff now. It's just not going to happen after what has happened in the past week. Um, But the fact that Ursula von der Leyen came in so strongly behind Israel, I found a little bit peculiar. I thought she would urge restraint to a greater extent. Uh, I thought that might be her role in this because Israel, look, Israel is in a wartime situation now. It's capable of of pulling out all the stops and uh, inflicting as much damage as possible. And that obviously jeopardises civilian life. Mm. Uh, And that jeopardises civilian life in Gaza and in other territories like the West Bank, which is on the other side of Jerusalem, uh, the Golan Heights, which is up near Syria. And Lebanon, where we have Irish troops. And Lebanon, which we have Irish troops and had an Irish troop killed last winter. Yeah. Uh, So it is a really, really difficult situation. Uh, you have the lights of Hezbollah there, a Lebanese armed group. You have Iran quietly backing Israel, quietly supplying it with, or quietly backing Palestine, I should say, or Hamas, uh, quietly backing it with weapons, with uh, artillery and stuff like that. So, like, what happens now is is it's very unpredictable. It's yeah. very unpredictable. I mean, you would you would imagine the Israeli forces will win out in the end. You would imagine they are the more powerful unit here. 
but what extent that civilian casualties occur uh, is the real question and how 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 far in does Israel go with this response? How far does it dig its heels in and inflict, inflict uh, the sort of suffering on, on, on Hamas mm. that Hamas has inflicted on it? I saw um, President Zelensky of Ukraine commenting on it last week. I thought his, his comments were very irresponsible and very inconsiderate. Yeah. Basically what he said was his main concern about what's happening in Gaza is that it takes the focus off of Ukraine. I yeah, and that is, that is, that was out of tune, I think. Yeah. You know, I mean, all, all right, we have, we have the Russia-Ukraine war and it obviously is and has been to the forefront of people's minds now for the past year and a half. Uh, but this is another crisis. It's not... It's not more important. It's not less important. It's another conflagration in a in a very volatile part of the world. Yeah. Uh, and for President Zelensky to say that, I would be critical of him as well. He is Jewish. Uh, you would imagine that he would have more of a, a a psychological connection to what's happening there yeah. uh, in Israel, but obviously not. Obviously, leaders have to look after their own patch. But certainly, that comment was. Uh, uncalled for, I think is the best way to describe it. I know this is something we're going to be talking about in the weeks ahead anyway because we're looking at, I think, a matter of hours before a ground assault uh, gets the go-ahead by Israel. So I'm sure we'll come back to it again next week. Another big global story we were looking at at the weekend was the elections in Poland. These were being deemed the most important elections since communism. Since 1989, yeah, since 1989. I think because it will shape the future trajectory of Poland for years to come. I mean, it really is very significant. On the one hand, you have the Law and Justice Party, which are a nationalist party that has ruled Poland for the past eight years or so. They've gone on very, gone down, come come on with a very, a set of very hardline policies in terms of the judiciary, in terms of LGBT rights, uh, all things like that. They have really transformed Polish society and turned it to an extent into a police state. You know, they control the media, control the main television stations, uh, use propaganda weapons. And then on the other hand, you have the civic coalition, which is being led by a former prime minister and a former president of the European Council, Donald Tusk. People will remember him from the Brexit process. Mm. He played a foremost role or a... Uh, a pivotal role in that entire process and he is coming at it from the other end he is looking to effectively liberate Poland uh, from its current state now he will need the exit polls have indicated that the Law and Justice Party will remain the largest party they don't have enough seats to form a majority so this will all come down to the process Was that expected? That was anticipated widely so this will all come down to coalition building and who can build a coalition who can knit together enough parties to forge a coalition the civic coalition uh, or the civic coalition of Donald Tusk are relatively well placed to do so they have a number of allies on the uh, we'll say the middle ground maybe the left wing territory of Polish politics that they can call upon Uh, remains to be seen there will have to be a lot of negotiation a lot of hammering out the details there Uh, but certainly it's it's not a favourable result for the Law and Justice Party Uh, they will they will rue their mistakes during the campaign they made a couple of you know errors during the campaign I think in their in terms of their policy appeals, in terms of their appeals to citizens, and I think Donald Tusk has he has a bit of a mojo about him. He's he's back in business now. He's a charismatic leader. Uh, he's well able to stand up and talk for himself. And you would hope from 
from a liberal perspective anyway, from an Irish perspective, that trust does find its way back into power because the way that Poland is headed is really precarious at the moment. Okay, I'm afraid that's all we have time for this morning, Thomas. But uh, in terms of what to look out for for the rest of the week, obviously Gaza, the big one. What else? Obviously Gaza, obviously Poland. Steve Scalise was edging to become US Speaker of the House. He's now been eclipsed by a guy called Jim Jordan. This is in the United States. This is a really interesting story. Uh, Obviously, Kevin McCarthy resigned as Speaker of the House of Representatives about two weeks ago now. Jim Jordan is a Trump ally. Uh, He's a man who... Uh, has been controversial but has been very staunch in his support to President Trump and will continue to be so, I would imagine. That is the main story, I would say, to look out for in the next week. Who will become the next Speaker of the US House of Representatives? And the presidential run has gotten a bit more interesting with Kennedy now joining as well. It certainly has. He's added a bit of spice to the ticket, you know. Uh, now, what way he will sway the vote remains to be seen. But or who will he take them from? Who who will he take them from? That is the real question. You know, can he eat into either the support of Donald Trump or Joe Biden? Uh, very difficult to know at this stage. We're still quite at an early stage uh, in this race, but it will be really interesting to see. There's no doubt about that. Another topic I'm sure we'll come back to. Thomas, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for Ali, talking thank to you. us today. Thank you. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Welcome back to the final hour of Monday's Tip Today. Now, Clubmel Community Conversations are taking place tomorrow at Hillview Sports Club. The purpose of the week's conversation is to explore the experience of substance use among clubs, groups and businesses in Clonmel and consider what impacts it has for their members. For more on this, I'm delighted to be joined in studio by community activists and former teacher Noel Buckley and also Michelle Aylward, who's CEO of County Tipperary Chamber. Good morning to you both. Good morning, Alison. How are you? Great to have you here this morning. Good. Noel, if I start with you, tell me about this initiative. Where yeah. did it come from? Yeah, well, I suppose it came from the fact that uh, Care Healthy Communities uh, was launched in Clonmel in 2022 and it's, it's part of a, a pilot project and a consultation took place uh, with children and young people in the Clonmel area, catchment area to ascertain what community development children and young people would like to see addressed. It was a chance to give young people a voice and the findings from that report was that children and young people want a safe a vibrant and fun place to live and the key issues identified from those discussions were vaping, drug misuse and safe spaces for them to hang out and through a meeting of community members in Clonmel the issue of substance misuse featured highly so an interagency group was set up, a Quality of Life Alliance, made up of different representatives from different groups, from third level to teachers to the Gardaí to drug counsellors and so on to see and this led to the forming of a substance misuse group and to fully address the substance misuse in Clonmel a community approach is required Uh, um, I'm just very taken aback by that was the first thing that they're they're most fearful of is drugs young people we shouldn't be surprised but that's no we shouldn't given the prevalence of them yeah so um, to fully address the issue uh, because people will often say what are the Gardaí doing about this but this is a community issue so to fully address that uh, and to make ourselves more aware 
uh, we've we've decided to hold a sort of four key community conversations because there's four sort of key stakeholders if you looked at the community of Clonmel there's the Vintners Hospitality the Corporate Sector and the Chamber of Commerce they're one group they run businesses in the town and drug use affects them as much as it does families and so on. And then you have groups, clubs and organisations, if you like, who look after the social needs of people living here in Clonmel and the wider catchment area. And then you have parents and schools who have to grapple with the problem. And also then you have the drug addicts themselves. What is it like to live as a drug addict? So very often people have conversations around their own table about drug addiction and how they perceive it and what should be done and should not be done. But this is an attempt to get a community together to talk about their experiences of it and to have that conversation and uh, the first conversation has taken place on um, Wednesday this Wednesday October the 18th in Hillview Sports Centre from 3 to 4.30 and we're limited to an hour and a half and we have a professional facilitator in there uh, and it's not going to be experts talking at you this is a conversation uh, with the people so what people will be given an opportunity to do in those conversations is they'll be given a chance to share their own experience experiences of their experiences of coming into contact with drug use and so on and how it from the corporate sector then how it's impacting on their business their staff their customers and even themselves as individuals who have to run their shops or businesses in the town and I suppose that will give rise to how knowledgeable you are about drugs and drug use and their effects on people and then people to wrap it up will be given an opportunity in small groups as well to look at what one thing or action would you like to to do as a business and what help might you need to do that in terms of addressing it and, and Michelle I suppose will highlight why business people might be interested in engaging with that mm. conversation. Can I ask before I go to Michelle Noel, is this very unique the fact that this is taking place for Clamel and in Tipperary? It is, uh, well Tipperary is I suppose one of the pilot test areas uh, and it, it's a whole uh, it's a whole community approach I always like the African proverb it takes, it takes a village to rear a child mm. and if we are to um, tackle drug use in, in in Clonmel or in any town in the country, it's going to take a whole community approach. Uh, as a former teacher in a school, we knew if we wanted to address any issue in the school among pupils, it took a whole staff approach and it took the students and took the board of management all working from a common hymn sheet. Yeah, And that's what these conversations are trying to begin. The journey. Absolutely. Michelle Aylward, CEO of County Tipperary Chamber. Tell us how the, um, the the misuse of drugs or illegal drug use is affecting businesses in Clonmel. Yeah, no, look, and I suppose, you know, when, when I got involved in this community group, I think one of the things myself and Noel kind of first said is we, we need to start naming this, yeah. you know. Uh, we all walk around our towns every day. Uh, we have our children that are going up and down the towns and you know, everybody is saying that we have an issue, but nobody's actually doing anything about it. So over the last number of weeks, I suppose what we've been doing is we've been handing out flyers and we've been going out to meet the business owners. And to say that there's a fear there is real. You know, mm. you'll walk into a shop and you'll speak to somebody and tell them that we're hosting this event on Wednesday at 3 p.m. We want you to come along. And straight away people are saying, yeah, this is fantastic, but I don't think I want to go. Because there is that genuine fear of, for themselves, for their staff, their reputation, their customers coming in. And it has a huge knock-on effect in terms of it. And I think that's why it's important that 
we have to start somewhere. Um, mm. And I'm involved in the uh, the JPC, which is the Joint Policing Committee of Tipperary also. And I know at last month's meeting that we had in terms of the figures and, you know, hence why Clomel was chosen, because it is the highest number of drug in terms of personal use and for supply and sale in terms of the districts within Tipperary. Wow. Um, and it is, I mean, <clears throat> I think the longer we're going to leave it, the reputation of our town is absolutely going to be destroyed. You know, so what I am saying to business people is if you can't come along, send somebody else from your business that day to come along to this meeting, because we have to start somewhere. You know, uh, we have to understand as well as in terms of how we move on from this and what is it that we can do in terms of our own responsibility as well. We have a social responsibility here as well as business people within the town of Clomel to say that we're no longer going to be able to not say anything about it, but come out and do something. And it is a start, as Noel said, but I mean, we're not going to resolve this issue overnight by any means. But I think the longer we ignore it, the worse it is certainly going to get. Can you tell me about some of the experiences that businesses have had? Mm -hmm, Indeed. So, for example, I mean, a lot of staff might be afraid nowadays even going to the bank to even lodge any money. Um, We're coming into the winter time now as well, so it's going to be getting darker in the evenings. So if you're a staff member and you have your car parked in one of the car parks or something like that, you might be afraid to go. So the knock-on effect that that will then also have in terms of retaining your staff. You know, we are at maximum employment as it is at the moment you know you want to make sure that you look after the welfare of your staff and your employees but if your employee or employer is a fear at the end of the day that then becomes another issue for you in terms of retaining your staff and staff talent as well you know Uh, but also as well look I mean when we look at the drugs issue as well it's not just about that as well but there could be a a colleague of yours that has an addiction or has a problem with it how do you deal with that within the workforce and that's hugely important as well which is something we don't talk about often either so you have a responsibility as an employer you know and it might be to come along and find out well what is your obligations to that staff member or what are the supports that are out there maybe that are available within the community. I know myself as well from attending a couple of these meetings uh, with Sloan to Care uh, there is a lot of more resources out there that even I was aware of myself you know but it's to share that knowledge as well in terms of where we can get the supports um, and hopefully be able to help everybody uh, coming into our towns. What kind of reaction are you getting from businesses? I know you spoke about that they're fearful but are they anxious and, and encouraged by getting involved in it? Oh no look I think overall people are delighted as I said you know everybody knew and does know that we do have have an issue. They're delighted to see that now we're standing up. Uh, we do have a, an event bright page where people can register if they wish to do so and I know the bookings have been coming in but I've also been saying to people as well, look, if you didn't get a chance to register, certainly show up on the day and there is huge interest in it because this benefits absolutely everybody. You know, you don't have to be no, just a yeah. business owner as I said, there's many aspects of it. I know we're probably talking a little bit about the negativity of it, side of it at the moment but there is a huge a number of different avenues that we need to look at this. Noel, could you talk to us as well about, you know, I'm sure there are a lot of naysayers who listen to this and say, yeah, it's great that people want to do something about it and get involved and get together and talk about it. But at the end of the day, what can we do if if the policing isn't there, if the sentencing isn't being handed down in courts? What can ordinary people do? Yeah, well, I suppose the first thing I'd say to people who might have a, a negative reaction and say, this is the guard's job or this is the health board job or this is the politician's job. And I mean, we have a whole debate going on at City is an assembly level on the question of drug use and how we address it. But I I used to always have a simple line. You don't have a right to complain unless you're willing to be part of the solution. So by all means, complain. 
but you also are part of the solution. And I, 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 I would say, I mean, parents listening, teenagers listening and so on. Uh, we've all we all know somebody who uses drugs. We all can see the impact it has on their life. And if you like, I suppose there's a threefold aspect to drug use. There's the person themselves, there's the drugs they're using, and then there's the environment. And, you know, each of us with families, we certainly have control over the environment. We bring our kids up and the boundaries we set for them. Um, Now, some families are very fortunate. They're very well supported. They're competent themselves, two-parent families or whatever. But there are also some families where they're under severe stress, be it financial, be it relationships, whatever it may be. So those kids need even extra support. And um, I think one of the things we need to be aware of is, is the need for education around drug use because historically, like when I was growing up in the 80s, it was perfectly acceptable to get drunk and even drink and drive. Yeah. That is now culturally unacceptable to drink and drive. Thank majority, God. Thank God for that. You know, and that showed that was a massive education campaign, uh, along with the enforcement of drink driving laws and so on. So that changed the culture, and now it is culturally acceptable to take drugs. You know, in fact, you're an outlier if you don't take them. Uh, so that culture needs to change. Can I give you an example, for instance, in my own experience as a school? In the 90s and early 2000s, schools around the country, uh, including my own uh, former school, the Prez, um, we had um, a problem with smoking. Uh, and, and particularly at break time, you'd notice the loos were literally smoke bellowing I out of them. Myself with girls. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> so... Again, you were nearly an outlier if you weren't smoking. Uh, and you can imagine the effect that has on teenagers when yeah. they see all the pals smoking. Well, I have to engage as well. Now, that changed with the the laws about not being allowed to smoke indoors in pubs, this, that and the other. Because I remember even when I started, it was perfectly acceptable to smoke in the staff room. Yeah. Even if you were a non-smoker, you had to put up with the smoke. So uh, with a mixture of leg- legislation and education about the effects of, 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 of tobacco... On your, on your lungs and so on that changed with the result uh, very few girls smoked by by the mid 2010 2015 but in the last four or five years it just shows the power of the tobacco and drug companies what has come up now vaping you know that is the the, the thing yeah. that's now being used you I see don't know every any age teenagers group. who smoke now but a no. lot of them vape yeah and like historically vaping was used by people who were trying to get off of yeah. tobacco which was perfectly a way of, of, of moving away from the hook of, of, of smoking, which was highly damaging to lungs to a lesser evil. But now the tobacco companies have used it to market in. Like, we have laws that cigarettes cannot be displayed. Yes, yet you can go into a supermarket now and see rows of vapes yeah. uh, displayed. But interestingly, people maybe listening will say, and I'd ask your listeners to think for a minute, what are the two greatest drug killers of users around the world, including Ireland. If you think of all the drugs from cocaine, cannabis, both legal and illegal, and people will be inclined to identify an illegal drug, be it heroin, cocaine or whatever, but it's actually alcohol and tobacco. They're the two. Tobacco as well? Yeah, alcohol and tobacco are the two biggest killers from a health point of view. And what's worrying about is, and and this this conversation is particularly focused at the 18 to 34 age group, how we can support them, because, or sorry, from 15 upwards, um, 
how can we support them? Because their brain is still developing. Yeah. And we know from medical evidence that these drugs affect the development of the brain. And uh, why I brought up vaping is any drug, once you start, leads to taking other drugs. Uh, that's a, a medical fact rather than an anecdotal uh, along the way. Yeah. Michelle, then for businesses who are looking maybe to take part in this conversation with you tomorrow, they might be asking, do we have to be a specific type of business? I assume all businesses would be welcome in this. Correct. Yeah, no, all businesses. Look, and, you know, it's it's businesses at the moment are under a lot of pressure, you know, in terms of the, the minimum wage price uh, gone up and things like that. And, you know... Another problem for them is obviously the drugs misuse and stuff on the town. So no, they don't have to to register at all whatsoever. Um, It can be any business of any type that wants to be able to contribute. As I said, now is the time to be able to stand up and say that we're going to do something and to come along to Wednesday evening or Wednesday afternoon at three o'clock in Hillview Sports Club. Yeah, apologies. I think I might have said tomorrow in my intro. Sorry for that. I know you you copped it. Well done. Now this, uh, of course, to reiterate as well, this is the first of four that will be taking place. It is, yeah. It'll be very interesting to see what the reaction is, won't it? It will. And uh, to me, these conversations are the beginning of a journey. It isn't just one conversation, but we decided in in, in terms of the interagency group that sat down to plan this, that rather than bringing in experts to literally lecture people, because you can get that information if you want Mm. to online, that we need to start with what is people's experience as a parent, as a business owner, as a drug user, and from the point of view of clubs, sporting groups, leisure groups and so on. What is your experience of drugs in your community, in your town? Mm, yeah. Start with that. And, and there is support in togetherness yeah. of sitting down because I think there is a sense among ordinary people living in towns around the country, including Clonmel, a sense of powerlessness. This is bigger than us. There is nothing we can do. And when you when people feel powerless, they often lash out at why isn't somebody else doing something? Mm-hmm. And, and the first thing you've got to do, and Paulo Freire, who did a lot of work in South America uh, with poor people, he recognised the importance of sitting down when he was trying to deal with poverty and empowering them to act he recognised the importance of sitting down with people who have the lived experience so there's parents out there who have concerns uh, about their kid maybe growing up going into secondary school what's going to be their exposure yeah. and so on. And the same clubs and organisations including GA clubs which I, were invo- I was involved with, it's now a big issue yeah. and what people don't realise is these drugs have a huge effect in your health, not just your lungs, but your heart. I think John Lahey, who's a drugs addiction counsellor, was pointing out, when you mix cocaine and alcohol together, you get another drug in the body, which is highly stressful in the heart. And we often hear now quite a few people who shouldn't be having heart attacks are suddenly yeah. developing those. So I, I, I think there's a whole body of education that needs to be done with people. Uh, and uh, young people from an early age in terms of the journey to drug addiction and how it's impacting your body. Yeah. And I love how all of this was spawned by having a conversation with young people. (laughs) Yeah, well, start with, you can't be starting with people's experience. Then you're not talking above people's heads. You're connecting with their relived experience. Mm -hmm. And so we see the solutions coming 
from the community and from people engaging with the issue because uh, and there will be people at different stages in their journey there will be businesses for whom this is a huge problem because yeah. maybe the drugs uh, drug trading is going on outside their businesses yeah. there will be others uh, I, I was talking to one business or, or one customer who in, in a hospitality area knew she was being served by somebody who already was a high on drugs yeah. you know yeah. and what do you do in that and situation? what do you do in that yeah. situation how do you handle that situation as a business owner when you become aware yeah. that one of your work colleagues who is front of house has a problem dealing with drugs yeah and and they need to be supported and helped address the issue and i suppose in terms of personality development we all want our kids and we want adults to be fully confident, fully alive human beings. Mm. And if you look at people who journey into uh, addiction, very often they have issues they're trying to deal with. They're trying to get themselves together. Yeah. And very often drugs seem to be the easiest crutch to reach out to. And there are, of course, lots of pushers in that. So yeah. And the, unfortunately the, very accessible. Yeah, and the, the addict is yeah. as much the victim here. Yeah. Uh, and and you know we we shouldn't we shouldn't when we see somebody doped out of their mind on drugs we shouldn't be saying they are the problem. We need to be asking ourselves at a wider societal level what is the root cause. Yeah. Uh, to use the analogy of a garden, you see the weed grow and develop in your garden, but where is the root? That's What's the causing them to flourish? Noel, we'll have to leave it there for this morning. <laughs> I know this is will will only be the first conversation yeah. that we'll have. On and it. before you, you go, in case yeah. any listeners. Um, have maybe a child or an organisation as somebody that's affected by drugs. Uh, the HSE um, have a substance misuse service up here in St. Luke, what people would have known as St. Luke's Hospital, and there's support and information there for you. And the phone number, and you might put it up on your yep. uh, site afterwards, is 052 900 is the phone number and I would say to anybody that's worried out there don't feel alone uh, engage with these conversations reach out for help the problem won't go away until we address it and remember you don't have a right to complain unless you're willing to be part of the solution Absolutely and that first conversation taking place at Hillview in Clonmel this Wednesday at uh, 3 o'clock That's followed on the 25th uh, by groups, clubs and organisations and um, I think Tip FM were delighted they will announce that next week and so on and the following week uh, by lived experience and later on by parents and schools so the dates will be publicised through Tip FM here and we're very grateful for getting that information out. It's our pleasure. Noel, Michelle, it's a pleasure. Thanks so much for talking to us this morning. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Welcome back to Tip Today. Neil Dennehy is a neuromuscular physical therapist, health and fitness instructor and author of What to Do with Stardust. 25 years experience in fitness training, physical therapy and therapeutic mindfulness. And delighted to say he joins me in studio this morning. Good morning, Morning, Alison. Good to talk to you. Now, you're going to have to sell me on this one. I was never a big fan of cycling, but how can you use it for both physical and emotional and mental well-being? Um, Cycling, it's great exercise. 
it's uh, non-impact which is a big thing from the physical side it doesn't pound the joints in the same way that say running does and I'm not anti-running I'm just giving the distinction It is hard on the body though running It can be yeah, yeah. and it, it depends on your, your technique as well if you've been trained to use the right technique or if you're strong enough a lot of people get into running without having built up leg strength to stabilise everything when they are pounding so so these can be problems but you don't have that issue with cycling because it's a circular movement so, so it's just a constant similar pressure okay you're working the muscles but the joints don't take a hit so that's a big mm. part of it and you are working your cardiovascular system as well uh, but look like lo- all forms of exercise there are pros and their cons so we'll we'll talk about some of the cons that maybe people might to might need to be aware of if they're if they are cycling yeah um now look cycling there's there's different types of cyclists you have your commuter cyclist and then you have your recreational cyclist and then you have your competitive cyclist and they're different your compu- yeah. commuter cyclist is sitting more even the bike is different you're sitting more upright in general you know so the the high nelly type bike is the best type of bike if you're a commuter because you can sit upright and that's much easier on your spine the more competitive you get the more you're leaning forward and and you know for to be aerodynamic and if you're leaning forward a lot that puts a lot of pressure on your upper back neck muscles and that's what i'd see in the clinic cyclists who are recreational fitness cyclists and and competitive cyclists they're bending forward a lot they've a, a helmet on the head which you should have that's a given for anyone yeah. and a good fitting helmet i had a paramedic in this morning uh, in the clinic and we were talking about this and he said his number one tip is make sure you always have a well-fitted helmet because the worst injuries the life-changing injuries are usually because there isn't a helmet or it's not uh, fitted you know so anyone out there with kids grandkids who are getting out there on their bikes without the helmet we don't want to look geeky yeah. cycling around the place I know that's kind of a, a term but you tend to just get the cheapest one you can find don't you you have to protect your skull yeah. you hit your head hard in the ground you're coming from a height and at speed if you fall off a bike you know even if you're stopped and you fall over there's still a height but usually people are you know crashing or they maybe get knocked down um, so like the head protect the head that's the number number one always be visible as well whatever your cycling level is make sure you've, you've got some kind of high vis thing on you whether it's in the town or on the roads you know up in the hills make sure you're you're, you're well visible mm. and if you are going out cycling recreationally or fitness wise make sure if you're on your own let people know where you are whatsapp has a great location a sharing function that you can let somebody know where you are and they can go into that at any stage and see exactly where you are so if for any reason you don't kind of you know oh, so it'll you get, follow you around it's following you ah. so you can check yeah we use this in the hiking groups as well you know i was doing some trail running there for a while heading off myself so i just put it into a group lads i'm heading out for the next hour or so this is my general route but if you see the dot stop moving for any length of time you know what to great do. idea and it, it's huge yeah it's huge you can save a lot of bother in finding you and the other tip from the paramedic this morning was wear a little band with some info just to let people just know if case. anything happens yeah that they know if you need any kind of medical care somebody that needs to be contacted stuff we don't really think about yeah. but yet if, if, if there's a problem it's easy to solve it in advance you know and these mm. things are covered um, but from the physical issues what, what you'd see with cycling as I said if you're bending forward a lot upper back neck tension is huge and what that can do is it can cause headaches it can cause neck pain obviously uh, discomfort but it also restricts the turn of your head so the stiffer your neck is the harder it is to turn and on a bike you don't have like a motorbike you don't have mirrors to, to check behind you so if your neck gets stiff and you can't turn the head quickly either side you're now not really aware of what's going on around you yeah. and that actually can, that can be risky that how important problems. is the saddle then? 
in terms of comfort and a lot of people will complain about the pain in the backside after Absolute, they go back cycling. Yeah. It's, it's very uncomfortable and that can lead to circulation is- issues in those areas as well and that can be a problem for, mostly for your highly competitive cyclist who's putting in a lot of hours on the road but um, you've got your gel covers for the, the saddles. Put two on, put three on if you need to. It should be comfortable. If you're a recreational cyclist, go for a wider one that spreads your weight out more rather than a very right. na- narrow saddle that the pound per inch weight yeah, is, is much it's much more compressed yeah um, do you get as much benefit from the electric bikes because I know they're hugely popular now but I often wonder they're cheating a little bit they are I yeah. mean you're, you're not working as hard if you're on a flat the bike could do all the work yeah. if you're on a hill it'll take anything up to 50% or more of the workload out of it um it's up to you. We know inside how much we're working. You can feel effort. If you want to benefit from fitness, there has to be effort. You have to challenge your body a bit, but not so much that you cause yourself problems. So, mm. you know, if you're using an electric bike, use it on the steep hills, but, but don't rely on it on the flats as well, unless you just want to cruise, but it's not for fitness then. Yeah. So you want to, you want to challenge yourself a little bit. You want to warm up a little bit before you get into the more intense stuff. You, you know, you often see runners stretching and warming up before they get out, but the cyclists often just get on the bike and go and they're not really stretching out the muscles in the neck. The hips as well can get quite, t- quite tight because you're in a seated position, you know, and you're bent forward. So the hip flexors, uh, I often talk about these with, with Fran when I'm on because I'm talking about how important the freedom in those muscles around the hips is for our, our spinal health as well. They can get very tight. So the cyclist needs to stretch those out as much as, as the runner needs to stretch them. Okay, before yeah. and after? Really, yeah. You want yeah. to warm up a little bit beforehand and do a good stretch afterwards and, and maybe consider getting some massage every so often to keep these muscles that are working, that are helping with your fitness, but that can seize up too and keep them right. Yeah. You know? uh, listeners saying, my son loves to cycle around locally with his friends. We live in the countryside. It's not cool for them to wear helmets, he tells me. Why isn't it a legal requirement to wear a helmet? It should be. Yeah. yeah it should be. And and as parents, look, you know, we, we have a responsibility to our kids that, that they don't get to make the decisions. You know, we make the decisions. We make the call. And when it's normalised, when they're all doing it, there's no issue. It's only not yeah. cool if one of them is, is, is wearing it and the other ones aren't. If they're all made to do it, then it's no problem. It's just the norm. And likewise, even with the elbow pads and things like that, you know, if you come down hard off a bike, the worst injuries are usually the shoulders. Shoulders and maybe elbows, you know, broken arms. If you, you know, I'm not saying they're all going to wear the pads, but at the very least, the helmet. The helmet. At the very least, we should all be wearing a helmet. I'm sure there are a lot of people who are well-seasoned cyclers but anyone who's maybe starting off should you set yourself a distance or should you set yourself how you feel by a certain point i think there's a lot to be said for that now you could get programs you know based on your fitness but you know yourself in your own body how you're feeling start small build it up slowly start off with 20 minutes or a half an hour build it up over time over the weeks add in an extra few minutes maybe go from flatter routes to to tougher routes bring in some hills every so often but listen to your body you know take a break if you're on a steep hill and it's getting hard even when you drop the gears take a break what are you doing it for only to feel good yeah you, you know there's there's people out there pushing themselves very hard in exercise weight loss is usually the goal and you will you'll burn through the calories over time it'll come but ultimately you want to develop your fitness have a fitter healthier body that mm. feels good if you push yourself hard at the start you won't stay going should you start by yourself or start with a group um 
like a group is ideal, but I'm not sure if the average recreational cyclist is going to be able to get into a group that's at their level yeah. straight away. You know, if you're joining a cycle, cycling group, they might have divided groups, but they're probably starting at minimum two hours to up to five and six hours. Some of the groups They'll call around, call into the bike shops. If, if you're actually interested in this, call into a bike shop and ask them because they know everything that's happening. They know who's doing what. And if there are groups in the area that they can access you know mm. um, you often feel with cycling that the only thing you're really working are your legs is that really the case though muscle wise yeah you're leaning on your arms a little bit but really muscle wise it's it's legs but a healthy program it has variety anyway there's no one exercise that works everything whether you're swimming cycling running hiking that, that you're only going to target certain That's muscles true. yeah so like i would say ideal the ideal from a fitness perspective is some walking, stroke hiking, some cycling, some weight training in general for the body, some stretching. If you have those worked into your whole week, you're going to have the benefit of all those forms of exercise mm. without pushing yourself too hard. And the mental positives you get from that oh, then are huge as well. Massive. Yeah. yeah. Everyone feels good after getting out and working the body, clearing the mind. You know, you get the endorphins, the, the feel good hormones from exercise. You're helping to detoxify your body. Um, you know, if you feel a bit fitter, your energy levels are coming up. Um, you feel a bit more toned in your body, you look a little bit better. These yeah. all help with the feel good factors. Yeah. So it all starts yeah. with the type of bike then, Neil. Anyone who's looking to make contact with you, how can they do that? Uh, the phone number is 87 3729. Great. And Emma will have that for anyone who's looking for it. Always a pleasure. Thanks for coming in, Neil. Thanks. Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter, or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Tip Today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Welcome back to Tip Today. Heartache, of course, uh, for a number of us, I think, over the weekend when it comes to sport. Paul Carroll joins me now from Nina to look back on the weekend sport. Hi, Paul. Morning, Alison. Before we go to the rugby, we have to, of course, touch first on the GA. That was an incredible final between Thurla Sars and Killa Dangan. Uh, that Willie O'Connor point at the end, my God. Yeah, Willie O'Connor's from way, way inside his own half. It was it was unreal. I thought it was a really entertaining game, real kind of uh, intensity and no real time on the ball and lots of kind of thinking going on in terms of tactics and that out in the field. But yeah, I really enjoyed it. A really good game. That Willie O'Connor's point at the end was just uh, incredible. unreal. Yeah, considering like the the context of the game he knew when he was lining that up from a long ways yeah. away that if this was going wide that was it they were going to be bet and he's been injured all year and hasn't been able to get a good run of it but uh, he was he was definitely needed yesterday Any talk of the replay then we know that's been fixed for when? For Sunday the 29th so uh, 13 days from now at 3 o'clock in Semple Stadium so uh, another day to look forward to Yeah that'll be an incredible replay do you think will, will Killadangan be able to do it do you think on the replay? I'd say it's just going to be another very close game. They're two really, really good teams and they know how to play against each other really well. So um, it's going to come down to more moments like that in two weeks' time, I'd say. Yeah, to the intermediates and uh, Boherlahan Duella, hurling champions, they'd be golden. 
Yeah, big win for Borland. They go up now into the Premier Intermediate. It was 3.15 to 15 points. Uh, Borland won that game. Uh, the goals are obviously the difference there looking at the, the scoreboard, but there was two uh, red cards for Golden in the second half uh, that kind of hampered their chances uh, down the stretch and uh, Borland were able to pull away. Got a last-minute goal to put a, a nine-point difference on the scoreboard. That does, doesn't really do Golden uh, justice, really. They were kind of two, three points behind for a large majority of that game. But yeah, Borland now up into the Premier Intermediate next year. Yeah, well done to them. Another draw as well in the Premier Intermediate final. Yeah, Thurlis Sarsfields have a have a busy weekend gone by and a yeah. few more busy weekends to come. They drew with uh, Thurla, or with Laura in the Premier Intermediate final. That was in Neen on Saturday. Laura 2.15, Thurlis 1.18. Uh, the replay is this Saturday coming at half past two in Nina. Uh, so same venue again. It will be live here on Tip FM once again, but Mikey O'Brien would, as good as Willie Connor's point was to level the senior final, the Mikey O'Brien score at the very end of uh, of the the Premier Intermediate game on Saturday to get the draw for Thurlis was uh, was just as impressive. Yeah, and there was a win then for uh, Clonelty Rossmore in the Junior A final. Yeah, defeated Banlin Hinch 3-18 to uh, 2-11. So Banlin Hinch were relegated from intermediate last year and done really well to make it back to the Junior A final uh, this year. But it was uh, Clonelty who progressed and they're going to be in the Intermediate Championship now themselves next year. Paul, we have to talk about it now. <sighs> yeah. God, it was tough, wasn't it? Yeah, no, it was it was a tough one. Now <laughs> Ireland, New Zealand, twenty eight, twenty four. Oh. They had so many chances yeah. and held up on the line. And Sexton missing a, a, a penalty that he'd usually always get, and Doris knocking it on, and the ball just bouncing over Dan Sheehan's head. Like there were so many and, little and my moments. My big concern going into it was Wayne Barnes. I thought he's going to screw us, and I really do think he screwed us. <laughs> yeah. I know I you're going know. to be I, diplomatic. I, I was really emotional, but I, well, not emotional, but you know, caught up in the whole thing when I was watching it. So I was wondering, what's that? for at the end yeah. like at the, the very last penalty but oh, I think like Ireland had enough chances to win it and starting 13 nil down because I knew like you know among kind of the rugby folk talk that to be on the telly and that they're going on about Ireland you know that they, they should win this game and they probably should have won the yeah. game but it was always going to be hard to get your first ever quarter final win no matter who you're playing but when it's against New Zealand it's it's that much harder and this kind of Ireland struggling in the quarterfinals is going to continue yeah. for another four years. But yeah, what's really maddening and I know you spoke to Davin about it earlier this morning like England now the last Northern <sighs> Hemisphere team and they played horrible rugby and same yeah. as Fiji and they're into a semi-final and the likes of Ireland and France out of it it makes no sense. Yeah because oh, it should all be built up like by right the, the best four teams should be in the semi-finals yeah. so you think that uh, we, you we know, Ireland, New Zealand, France, South Africa yeah. should be the semi-finals by right, but oh, it's just I don't know. They're going to have to change the way they do the draw. Doing it three years beforehand is just nonsensical, you know. Because uh, I don't know. Imagine if you did any draw three years before, it's, you're not going to teams change in three years, like yeah. you know. So, uh, do you think Andy Farrell will stay on? I hope so. Yeah, I'd say he would. He he seems really, um, you know, really a part of the squad and really uh, involved with the players and all that. So I'm sure he'll stay on. I don't think there's going to be anyone calling for him to go or anything. And uh, yeah, I'd imagine he'd stay on. I'd be surprised if he didn't. We've a lot of retirements. Then come we've Keith Earls. We're we're going to lose Jonathan Sexton. Talks that today of Peter O'Mahony as well. And looking at Tyg Furlong as well. Saturday thought he's not the player he was. 
Yeah, do you know, these lads have put an awful lot into to Ireland over the last decade. So by the time four years' time rolls around in Australia, we're probably going to not have a number of them lads. And like, we'll, we'll miss them all, but I'll really miss uh, Peter O'Mahony. I yeah. think he has, has he has that bit of rural bitterness Bounce. that you kind of need on the team, yeah. like, you know. So uh, we'll, we'll definitely miss Peter O'Mahony and Keith Earls likewise. And sure, Johnny Sexton, like, you know, he's going to be a massive loss. But it was an incredible competition. I mean, the, the rugby that we played was unbelievable, especially that South Africa game. Was incredible, oh, unbelievable, yeah. And I was saying, I was, I was actually at that South Africa game, and it was a crazy, like most tense sporting occasion I think I've ever been at. But uh, yeah, it was some great memories from the from the tournament. But it just ends on such a yeah. sour note. Well, hopefully England will get bet now next weekend. <laughs> a bit of solace. And going back to Gaelic games, then uh, with the Camogies, what well, we did intermediate semi-finals on Saturday. How did they go? Yeah, Money Goal, uh, incredibly, uh, after winning the Junior A last year, they make their way into the intermediate finals. Now, they beat Newport Ballon Hinch 1-8 to 9 points. And Shannon Rovers, for the fourth year in a row, are back into a intermediate camogie final. They beat Borland 3-8 to 10 points. So, um, Shannon Rovers looking to finally get over the line in these in, in intermediate final in a couple of weeks' time. And uh, just elsewhere in camogie, I know we're under a bit of time pressure. Cashel Kincormuks uh, survived the senior relegation battle. They defeated Nina. And Mike Harkey Burris won the Junior A uh, final there as well and Aerogana Carthy won the Junior B2 final so um, in Camogie next weekend of course the big one is next Saturday the uh, County Senior Final that's between German Inch and Clonauty Ross Moore at half past three yeah. on Saturday and on Sunday Shannon Rovers and Money Goal at half past one so plenty of uh, Camogie coming forward in the next couple of weeks as well Absolutely we'll lick our wounds for the week and we'll look forward to that then at the weekend Yeah exactly Ellie and the, inter- and the Intermediate and Senior Football Finals next weekend of course as well live on Tip FM next Sunday so plenty to look forward to Absolutely Paul always a pleasure Thanks a million. Thanks, Ali. Really high quality game here and around the middle of the field as this ball goes off towards Aidan McCormack. And what a score that is from Aidan McCormack, the joint captain of this team. This will be a trademark Paul Flynn score out the sideline between the 45 and 65. And he gives a massive fist bump towards the crowd there in the newsstand. Here's Sean Hayes, plays it to the side. Paul Flynn going to shoot for goal. It's into the back of the net. That is the goal that they needed. And it's come from Paul Flynn. This is his right fist oh, to the sky. Oh, what a score. score that is from Billy Seymour. He must have been inside the 14 when he was striking that on the sideline. Big, big score from a big-time player. Willie Connors might have a go here. He's on his own, inside his own 65. He strikes this long and over the bar from Willie Connors. What a score from Willie Connors to level things up. And that is it for a fourth year in a row. It cannot be settled in 60 minutes. We're going to have a replay of the county final. It's ended a draw in what has been a hugely entertaining game. 119 for Killadangan, 22 points for Thurlis Sarsfields. There are just some highlights. Uh, thanks to Devon for putting that together for us on that incredible game between Thurlis Sarsfields and Killandangan and that a pivotal point at the end by Willie O'Connor. An amazing point. And we've it all to look forward to again. That replay, as you heard, fixed for Sunday, October 29th at 3pm. We'll certainly look forward to that. And of course, that will come to you live here on Tip FM as well. That's about it for today. Thanks to Emma on production. Thanks for all your calls and texts. I'm back with you again tomorrow morning. In the meantime, if there's anything you'd like to raise, with us. You can catch us on email tiptoday at tipfm.com Stephen is up next with the Time Tunnel and the Lunchtime Show. Oh and then taking you through to the afternoon. Until tomorrow morning, have a great day. 
Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. 